G'day mate, 40 here. I'm back, back in the United States. And uh, while I was in Australia, I'm an Australian citizen as well as an American citizen, I did some work at my brother's garden center and I noticed that when I was working as a cashier that uh, about 10% of the transactions were with cash and 90% were cashless. And then when I arrive in, in America and I'm riding the bus, the bus doesn't take an app. The bus insists on $1, the, the Culver City bus. And uh, so I think the Anglo countries are perhaps a little bit more reluctant to go uh, cashless. So I think the Scandinavian societies are increasingly cashless. Australia, uh, 90% of transactions are cashless. In America, 70% of transactions are cashless. But there's... It's an Anglo contingent, I think, in Australia and in America that is suspicious of a cashless society because then the government will have more power over you. They'll be able to supposedly, you know, just turn turn off your ability to pay for products. So I think that uh, Americans revere their freedom more than Australians. So United States developed out of the first British Empire as a reaction against the first British Empire and it was developed prior to the Enlightenment or just at the beginning of the Enlightenment. And so freedom became the number one issue for the people forming the United States of America. While Australia and New Zealand developed out of the Second British Empire, the Second British Empire was much more affected by the values of the Enlightenment. And so fairness is the number one value in Australia. So Australians, by and large, feel that the government is on their side. And Australians, by and large, seem to trust the government more than Americans do. And so Australians are much more at ease with a cashless society. But according to an Australian Reserve Bank report, uh, the average Australian has $4,000 in cash. So I think I've got like $100 in cash. So maybe a lot of Australians are hoarding cash, or is that mainly criminals? Now, if you put money in the bank in either Australia or of the United States, you're not going to get any interest, right? So maybe that is why people keep so much cash. So let's have a look here. This is Amy Wax talking to the Glenn Lowry. Success in modern society, Western culture was desirable and had features that we should, uh, uh, you know, uh, affirm. Uh, and who has also uh, said publicly that in her experience, uh, students at the bottom of her class tended disproportionately to be students of color. And this has created a firestorm of protest uh, at the law school where your dean has sanctioned you uh, and so on. And that's the basis, I assume, of the complaints coming from these alumni who say all that the interviewer wants to talk about is the infamous Amy Wax. Well, right. And there's one more infraction that I have that made a huge fuss, which was that a national conservatism convention. This has become sort of an annual thing. I think you might have been at the one in Orlando. I was at the one in Orlando. You had to tell everybody, did you? I was not there. I was, <laughs> I was hoping to stay in the closet a bit longer, Amy, but okay. Right. I, I... So this is about the edgiest conversation that you can have on YouTube now. So Amy Wax talks about uh, restricting non-white immigration. 
but she manages to phrase it in a way that uh, fits within YouTube's terms of service. I was, I was not invited to speak because the one I did speak at, I created such a fire. I want to hear about that. I want to hear about that. But I want people to know I'm just joking about being in the closet because my speech is now the lead article in this issue of First Things in the January 2022 issue of the magazine First Things. My right. National Conservatism Conference speech is being published. I'm proud of it. Uh, I survived the National Conservatism America. Conference without any long-term damage. And in fact, I made some friends there. So I hope not. <laughs> yeah, well, now you're, you're out of the closet because your speech on Black patriotism is everywhere. And actually, Europe sent out an email and it's one of the leading highlights of it. So you can't hide. Oh, it was. But yeah, I go ahead. I want to hear about I, your, your experience. Well, no, it, the year before, before COVID, I had said I had given a talk on immigration in which I had said that I thought our policy should be geared much more to cultural compatibility, you know, but we have to face up to the fact that there's a Western world and then there's a non-Western world or a third world in which many of our values are not shared. In fact, people are barely familiar with them. They're certainly not inculcated and that it's just harder to assimilate those people or to have confidence that our way of life will continue. Right. It'd be ridiculous to expect that every part of the world, every country, every society, every culture, every religion, every race is going to be equally adaptable to fitting in and contributing to American society because different groups evolved over hundreds of thousands and millions of years in completely different parts of the world. So they evolved and natural selection did its work in response to very different environments. And so some environments, the more harsh, the, the colder environments, people were forced to plan ahead. People were forced to be cooperative, to learn to work with other people and to plan ahead. And so this develops people through evolution who are going to be more intelligent, who are going to plan more and who are able to work with other people. Then other groups evolved in conditions where food was plentiful and food was available year round. So obviously, natural selection working in different environments is going to produce different groups with different gifts. If we bring a lot of people in who are not familiar with it, who don't have fealty to it or uh, allegiance to it or whatever, and these are not, you know, these are not original ideas on the right. But unfortunately, I said this might result in a shift in the racial profile of people come in. We'll, we'll obviously have fewer people from Africa. We'll... Oh, shocking that uh, different groups ha might have different gifts and uh, different levels of compatibility with American society. So the chat, Angus, says the Scandinavians have a lot more public trust. Yes, they have about the highest levels of social cohesion and social trust. And so they're going to be much more okay with the cashless society. And uh, Elliot says, is there a way to get free network TV on your computer? Uh, sure. Um, I just, uh, I got back and I resubscribed to YouTube TV. So I spend $65 a month. And John Berkshire, Respecta, says she's just repeating alt-right talking points from 10 years ago. Mm, it's not only the alt-right who had these talking points. She is developing on decades of her thought uh, on these issues. So Amy Wax does not seem to uh, make her arguments based on biological differences. So she keeps her focus on cultural differences, but she recognizes that different groups have different cultures and different predilections. 
And so unlike the alt-right biological approach, uh, she comes with a more cultural approach. But she, she seems to be on friendly terms with uh, Jared Taylor. And who's that John guy? John Derbyshire, who wrote, uh, wrote that famous essay, The Talk, that got him fired from National Review. So Amy Wax had John Derbyshire speak at her university. We'll have fewer people from some parts of Asia, and it'll be more white, not that that many white people want to come to the United States. So, by the way, on my flight, I flew out of Sydney, and I flew on Air Fiji. And I stopped off in Fiji. It was about a three-hour, 40-minute flight from Sydney to Fiji. While coming from Fiji to Sydney, it was like five hours. So different uh, air patterns cause uh, you know, more or less time on that flight. But a few hours after I land, landed in Fiji, there was this enormous volcanic eruption. And so I would not like to have been flying over this volcano. And so this precipitated tsunami warnings from uh, Japan to Australia to the west coast of the United States that this, this erupted about uh, 10 hours after my plane took off. So you could hear this volcanic eruption from thousands of kilometers away. Glad I wasn't flying over this volcano. Okay, so let's get a little bit more here from Amy Wax and Glenn Lowry. And this is what made the headlines. Amy Wax advocates for, you know, excluding people of color from immigration, which, of course, isn't what I said at all. Um, I said this might be the result, and therefore conservatives might be nervous about it. I was talking about what conservatives are willing to advocate. And, you know, conservatives are very skittish about about racial effects. In fact, that's something I, in the essays that I said. Well, anyone who's concerned about their social standing, anyone who's ambitious, anybody who wants to have a pleasant life, anyone who wants to avoid trouble, uh, is going to be very skittish talking about racial differences. I said to you that I've written about that uh, one of the reasons fighting wokeness is so difficult, I think, and there's been so little success, but there have been pockets of success, we can talk about the school wars, um, is because conservatives are so confused and ambivalent about the whole disparate impact, equal results uh, phenomenon. Uh, and that, that, I think, is a problem on the right. People need to get their head on straight that uh, under current conditions, if they're going to go back to colorblindness, if they're going to go back to impartiality and, you know, the classic meritocracy, they are not going to see, we are not going to see proportional outcomes. Yeah, hold on. yeah and uh, I was talking to a friend in Australia, and he was very conventional on matters of, of race. And I said to you, it doesn't interest you why, say, all the, all the, most of the pilots, if not all the pilots on the Fiji Airlines are Indian. Like why are the, the pilots on Fiji Airlines disproportionately Indian? Why do different groups dominate different sectors of the economy? Why do different groups dominate different sports? Uh, why do different groups seem to have different gifts? That doesn't interest you. You said, no, no, it's just, uh, just social conditioning that creates that. And eventually said, I, I don't want to talk about this anymore. It made him like so viscerally upset to even hear the possibility that uh, different groups might have different gifts.
And so what Amy Wax is talking about here is just plain old common sense. Hold on, Amy. Uh, I I actually agree with that, and I want to talk about that. But uh, I want to just ask you a question about this uh, point about immigration, because I'm noticing that um, a a large number of the immigrants who are coming from some parts of the non-Western world are are doing quite well. I, I mean, I'm noticing that South Asians, for example, are uh, all over the tech industries. I'm noticing that the East Asian first and second generation immigrants, you know, from Korea, from China. Are are yeah. doing very well, and if you were to rank different ethnic groups by you know income or occupational status or whatever, you'd find a number of uh, non-Western immigrant uh, populations, you know, doing quite well in terms of wealth and uh, PhDs and you know so forth and so on. So, non-Western is a pretty broad category, uh, and uh, the cultural characteristics of some of these immigrants. So that's one point that some immigrants are doing quite well who are not from the West. The other point, though, is that it's very selective who decides to come. And even if I come from what Donald Trump called a shithole country, even if, even if I come from a place that's not at all doing well, I might be an individual who by in virtue of electing to get the heck out of So When I was down under, I was asking family and friends, like, who are the top Australian comics? And a comic in Australian apparently just means comic strip. So they said, you mean comedians. So in Australia, you go on a holiday. But in America, a holiday is like a national holiday, such as uh, Christmas or Thanksgiving. That's a holiday. So uh, trying to contest, like, who who are the the funniest people in Australia? And uh, actually, none of them could name anyone. But uh, Angus says, I spent a lot of time in my life around comedians. Very un-PC people. Race is one of the richest minds for comedy gold. There's nothing wrong with it. People need to lighten up and have a laugh. Absolutely. There uh, has characteristics that would uh, redound to my benefit once I get here. So you paint with such a broad brush. How do you how do you answer that uh, concern? It is a broad brush. I agree. It's it's a mass generalization. I think it. it... So Amy Wax, we're talking about someone with an IQ north of 150, uh, genius level. She has a medical degree and a law degree. It does need to be refined to reflect a couple of facts that you pointed out. So I've tried to have her on my show. She said she liked my, my interview with, oh, thank you. First is that, you know, we are seeing signal success of East Asians. She liked my interview with Greg Cochran, so I've exchanged a bunch of emails with Amy Wax trying to get her on my show, but uh, she's just sticking with uh, Glenn Lowry for the moment. And South Asians who come here, but of course, as you recognize, they're a highly selected part of the population they're a tiny tiny elite these places are so populous you know they're so yeah in fiji the the indian population is just a minority population but they dominate the economy they they dominate you know high achievement in in fiji so fiji is about 64 percent christian uh, and 28 percent hindu so those are the indians and about six percent islam And uh, Angus says, I used to know a former parliamentarian from Fiji who often complained about the laziness of his people. He was against the siege of the parliament. So he said his people are jealous of Indian success. So the Indians in Fiji are the most powerful, the most economically successful. And so there have been several coups in India. There have been uh, various rebellions and riots against uh, Indian success. It's similar to other parts of 
like Southeast Asia, Malaysia, Thailand, all right? You've got a Chinese minority there who is disproportionately successful, uh, disproportionately intelligent. And so the majority population has reacted with resentment. So I, I think America, compared to any other country in the world, which I know has more respect for success and less of a tall poppy syndrome, which is so dominant in Australia, where anyone gets you know, above a certain, gets above his group, then people will be very likely to take pot shots unless the person stays very humble. But in America, success is much more respected and uh, much less resented. But in Southeast Asia, as I think in most places in the world, you have a minority group that is disproportionately successful, then they are widely hated. They have so many people that if you bring in this tiny, tiny upper crust, right, uh, you, you'll get a kind of critical mass of very capable. And uh, the chat says, am I still following Richard Spencer? I haven't followed him in a few months, but if he says or does something interesting and it you know, pops into my Twitter feed or someone sends me an email, I'll check it out. People. I mean, there's no question about that whatsoever. So we have to distinguish mass immigration, which we're getting from the and uh, John says, I've grown tired of this HBD, human biodiversity stuff. It's tiresome. Well, anything can become tiresome. So it's silly when you look at any one thing as a magic key to all of life. So race is, is interesting. Like, why is the NFL, say, 75% black? Why is the NBA 90% black? And why are some professions dominated by certain groups? But if you think that race is going to answer you know, most of the important questions about life, then you may be putting too much importance. So uh, society does play a role. Culture plays a role. Uh, types of government we have play a role. You know, the way we organize ourselves plays, plays a role in human outcomes. So there are magic keys for domain-specific questions, such as if you're a quarterback, there may be a particular linebacker who's the mic, meaning that you key on that particular linebacker. If if you're going against a Lawrence Taylor or a Lawrence Taylor type in Micah Parsons, you really need to know where Micah Parsons is on every play. So coming up in about 45 minutes, the San Francisco 49ers are going to be playing the Dallas Cowboys. And so Jimmy Garoppolo is the 49er quarterback. He needs to be aware where Micah Parsons is because Micah Parsons is going to be the, the best athlete on the field. So as a quarterback, you will key on certain players. And so there are domain-specific keys but there aren't magic keys to all of life. Hispanic, right, south of the border, which I think poses different questions and challenges from uh, the Asian elites that we're getting. Now, that doesn't mean that, that this influx of Asian elites is unproblematic. I actually think it's problematic. I don't think it's problematic because of dysfunction or underclass behavior, because we're not seeing that. Uh, although if we had mass migration from those countries, I think that would be a different matter. I think it's because there is this, uh, let's call it danger of the dominance of an Asian elite in this country. And what does... So she's going out on a limb here and I'm, I'm not sure she's on strong ground. I, I don't think there is any more to fear from a dominant Asian elite than a dominant Anglo elite as opposed to, you know, a dominant Jewish elite. I think if you're going to single out a particular group and say you're, you're worried about their elite, you better be on very, very strong ground. 
though I think she got into a lot of trouble for these comments. There were all these articles saying that uh, Amy Wax calls for you know fewer Asians in the U.S. and I'm not sure that the Asian elite is any more dangerous than the Anglo elite, or the Jewish elite, or the Hindu elite. What does that mean? What is that going to mean uh, to change the culture? And that's not a popular idea to say that. Like, why? Why would you ever say anything? Well, what's the like danger? What, what? Yeah, right. What is the danger when you say that one particular group and single them out by race, like Asian and Asian elite, is dangerous? Better be on very, very solid ground because otherwise you're just being gratuitously provocative and you're going to receive an enormous backlash where it may be unnecessary because I'm not sure that there is strong evidence that an Asian elite is any more dangerous to the success and the health of the United States than any other group's elite. Now, John says, Did you see that Keith Woods got banned from Twitter? That really did a number on him. He's now on Telegram ranting about COVID. So. What's going on, Elliot Blatt? Blessings. Can you hear me, Luke? I, I can. I can, my friend. I have to pause the. Uh, I have to pause the stream. Okay. Blessings. Welcome home. Hey, we thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you very we much. You. So, uh, are you all excited for the uh, 49er game? I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be. The city needs a boost. You know, we've taken a lot of hit. We've taken a lot of. A lot of guff in the press. You know. So San Francisco needs to uh, needs a boost. Okay, and uh, how much attention do you play? To, do you pay to the 49ers? Um, once a week, I listen to the coverage on the radio. So hardly much, but not zero. So you don't know how to watch a game on your computer, is that right? I don't. I'm I'm debating whether or not to join this um, sling. Sling, right. Yeah. Uh, I get a few free days, but, you know, I always forget to cancel. And I'm like, then I get the credit card bill. And it's like, where did I do this? I didn't buy this. And, then, you know, so should I join and then with, with, all, with the intent of just canceling later? I'm afraid that might be bad for the Jews. <laughs> Your shivas don't pay for themselves, bro. <laughs> we don't want that. We don't want that. So yeah. I, I think, isn't there something like there's a there's a free free way of accessing the, the main TV channels? I, I've forgotten the, the name yeah, of the Yeah, I've service. forgotten the name Aero. myself. I just... Aero? A-E-R-O? A-E-R-O? I'll try it. A-E-R-O. So there are ways. There are ways. Yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not above. Uh... Now, Aero is a new flight. It's a new uh, airline. Well, there's there's a service where you can get the, the major TV channels, I believe, for free. So. I know, and I've Googled this, and I think they're trying to hide it for me, or it no longer exists. But every link is sending me to some sort of pay service. So, um, does anyone know in the chat? Okay, well, we'll find out. So, uh, how are things been in San Francisco? Um, the city is pretty much in a slide. Uh, I sort of monitor next door, you know, and the the types of crimes that people are reporting are getting progressively more um, uh, brazen, shall we say? But there, I, I haven't heard many reports of a lot of violence, but I have a lot, a lot of property crime, and really, like uh, one issue, like people are snatching French bulldogs from their owners. 
Oh, you hear about this? Nah. No, apparently a French bulldog is a very collectible dog. It's a very valuable dog. And so people, uh, you know, I've heard two counts of um, thieves, you know, just strong arming someone's dog right from them and getting putting in a car and taking it off with it. I mean, this is, I've never heard of this before. So, um, you know, you know, obviously there's a lot of, bad press in San Francisco and, and I avoid, you know, the, the, the high problem areas, but, uh, you know, uh, there is just mounting concern. There's going to be a backlash. I don't know if it's going to be big enough to change things, but a lot of people are upset. So are people uh, robbing trains in San Francisco because we've had the great train robbery in Los Angeles? I hadn't heard about that. You mean the subway? No, um, trains are just getting robbed uh, for packages. Oh, oh, I heard about that. Yeah, that's uh, that's old school, isn't it? Um, that was a big thing on the East Coast with the like the early mafia. They would sort of jump on a freight train and then clean it out of its contents. Uh, there was a word for this. I'm trying to remember the, the word, but uh, uh, you know, you get a uh, Armani jackets and stuff. These were trafficked, and that was you know you'd go to the you go to the ghetto you know on the east coast and uh, everyone's wearing these high priced um, North Face bubble goose jackets. You know what those are? It's probably mm. not a big thing in LA no. because it does get cold in LA. No, but what's the point you wanted to make? Oh, it? They're very expensive, so you'd go to a uh, sort of underprivileged neighborhood. And then you're very surprised to learn that everyone's wearing a high-priced bubble goose. Okay, so if you didn't live in California, where would where do you think you'd live? Um, now, I would probably move to Utah. I would move to Salt Lake. And yeah. uh, are you interested in becoming a Mormon? No. No, no. Salt Lake has the world's best skiing, Luke. But you're not a skier, so you don't care. Are you a skier? I am. And how often do you, do you go skiing? Well, I used to go quite quite frequently. Uh, COVID's put a damper on that. Um, um, but I don't really, when I ski, I don't even bother skiing in California anymore. I, I go to Utah because it's so good. And uh, it's a 10-hour it's a drive from San Francisco. It's a haul. How many days do you ski a year, you say? Uh, well, recently, okay, in a good year, and uh, I would go probably 10 times a year. But, that, you know, I'd go to Tahoe, most of those, and Utah, a couple. So, but I've, I've forsworn Tahoe. Tahoe has too many problems, so I don't go to Tahoe anymore. But when I did go to Tahoe, I was a member of a ski lease, or a ski club, and I would go there and uh, ski, and it was great. It was like a, it was like the cheapest accommodations on Lake Tahoe, and it was fun. It was communal. Um, it was a really good time. And then uh, COVID happened, and that put the damper on everything. So you listen a lot to a radio station called The Bone. So describe yes. The Bone. The Bone is a uh, is a hard rock station. And um, 
it's it's it, you know i really like tuning into like the radio business now i was sort of surprised it still existed uh and and so you know all of these radio stations have sort of a they have their official call letters but then they have like a word like kiss kiss 108 or you know kiss is a big one uh the breeze you know breeze all these sort of all these words that sort of connote the uh style of music that's played right and so i'm just sort of going this on the car like all the their pet names come up on the screen you know all the list of stations and then their names and the very last one the rightmost section of the dial was the bone <laughs> so I, I just stumbled onto it and it's been a blast of nostalgia for me i've, I've really enjoyed it and what are you hearing on the bone vis-a-vis -vis today's cowboys versus 49er game well um I'm very surprised. Okay, so I think the I think we were I think San Francisco was off to a pretty rocky start. We were like three and five or something, yes. and then we sort of picked up speed uh, throughout the uh, rest of the season, and we just kind of got in there under the wire. Yes. So my sense is San Francisco isn't a particularly strong team, but uh, and this last game, this last pivotal game, uh, there was quite a comeback in the third and fourth quarter to put us over the wire but yes so we're not a dominant team by any stretch that's the sense i'm getting so i, I have a feeling we're gonna we're gonna have to get lucky but what be... are you hearing on the bone what's the what's the attitude well it's hard to sense because you know the bone announcers are are paid to be enthusiastic and optimistic about san francisco you know there's this um there was injuries like uh like there's a lot of sort of mental mistakes I'm gathering from the San Francisco team. Um, and they're going to have to nip that out. They're going to have to excise those problems. Um, and, uh, but there are some really talented players, you know, Dante or something or other, Asante, um, a lot of Latinate sort of names. Um, but, uh, but what, I, what I remember from, I lived in Northern California for about 13 years. There's an intensity of 49er support that just without comparison to LA, like LA support is, is much more mild. LA didn't even have a football team for about 25 years and it wasn't a big deal, but in San Francisco and I, I think with the giants as well, but people really live and die with the 49ers with an intensity that's just largely unknown in LA. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't know too much about LA. I could see LA being, you know, it's warmer, it's more laid back, right? There's a yeah. certain nonchalance in LA, which I imagine is pretty true of a lot of warmer weather climates. That's what but I would the, say. the 49ers are like life and death in the San Francisco Bay Area and Northern California generally. And well, people well are they used passionate. to be very good, right? They used to be like dominant. But even when they before they were very good, people were passionate about the 49ers. I mean, I just I remember feeling scared at uh, leaving Candlestick Park, um, the Cowboys, had the 49ers had just beaten the Cowboys in December of 1985. And yeah. uh, someone said, you don't look very happy. You are a Cowboys fan. And I could tell that they were like ready to fight. I mean, 49er fans seem like they're really to, ready to throw down. Also, there was a Dodger fan. Oh, no, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, any thoughts about that? 
Well, it's surprising to me too because you know about four or five years ago there was a San Francisco Giants fan. It was uh, beaten up at Dodger Stadium. Yeah, nearly yeah. to death. Yeah, you know. Um, so maybe times have changed, but also I think back then, what was it the Joe Montana days? Is that what you're talking about? Yes. Yeah, they were. Um, they won at least one, probably two or three Super Bowls in that era, right? The late. Uh, 80s, they won 90s. four. They won four Super Bowls in the 1980s. Yeah. So. Um, you know, I was living in Boston during the, the Patriots dominance. So uh, the Patriots were always the laughingstock. You know, they took a while. Um, they never quite got there. Um, and then finally in 2001, 2002, they broke through and they finally won the Super Bowl. And I can't, it's difficult to explain the, uh, the exuberance that followed that like how happy people were like it was a big deal boston's a very big sports town like very passionate about sports to the point where it's absurd it's like it's not healthy now tell me more about the vibe on the bone i assume it's a hyper masculine hyper heterosexual radio station in the san francisco bay area yes it is it is it is the last bastion of explicit male identity and and how do they articulate that or how do they create that vibe aside from that um well first of all there's any number of double entendres involving the word bone right as you can imagine um so, so um get your weekend bone get your bone on um you know so on and so forth you know all the obvious sort of uh double entendre so there's that um and there's a morning show like there's a uh, like a zoo crew morning show that goes on that plays during drive time and uh you know i used to hear these types of zoo crews all around the country right every every station's got these but there's like a very particular formula right so commercial radio is just run by a formula you know yeah. And whatever the locality is, they just plug in that formula in that particular locale. But there's always like the, uh, there's always the, there's like, there's always, the, it's probably a team of three, two or three, actually in San Francisco, it's two. And, but then there's these phone in people that come in, these characters get phone in and they're sort of recurring characters. Uh, and then the four, the three of them then form a triumvirate of, of humor. And, um, but the jokes are always body, you know, there's always like this, uh, you know, there's always these, like, this is always the sexual innu innuendo in the jokes themselves that are told. And the woman plays this role of being shocked and offended and, yeah. uh, laughs hysterically. Right. And this is all fodder for the, for the bone listeners, because the music is just all very masculine, you know? Well, it's like, yeah, it's all very red. There's, but the bone has basically three eras, basically 70s, 80s, and 90s. And there's nothing from 2000 forward. So um, so it's it's sort of like the older male demographic. Um, so, you know, you've got your, your Boston, you know, for the 70s, it's uh, Boston, you know, more than a 
more than a feeling, you know, that type of stuff. Drum kits, a lot of bass, you know. Then there's the 80s. The 80s was sort of the birth of hair metal. Yes. Right? So there's this whole Quiet Riot. Of, yes. Quiet Riot, um, Def Leopard, the Scorpions. Um, trust, trying to think Are you ready more. to rock? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And like poison, really just noxious stuff that is so noxious. I can't, it's unbearable. You don't like the scorpions and no, I hated all of that hair metal. I hated all of it. Just I like the 70s stuff. Hair. I like the 70s stuff. Rocky like a hurricane, big city yeah, nights. It's just, it's ridiculous. It's so simplistic. Oh, but I do like rock music. Of course, it's simplistic. Yeah, but no, but not all rock music is simplistic. Like, if you look at the 70s stuff with the Eagles and um, is Rush 70s or early 80s? What would you call it? Rush is 70s. Yeah. The lyrics in there are incredibly high IQ. Yeah. Eagles. You know, there's yeah. like this spiritual dimension. It's it's about striving and succeeding and soaring, you know, having your spirit soar. You know, it's all this kind of very positive stuff. You know, if you ever looked at some of the lyrics and some of that 70s stuff, you'd be surprised how literate it is. And then basically the 80s came around, and that stuff just went off a cliff. Well, the 80s brought us air supply, bro. <laughs> Aren't they late 70s? Uh, I think the first hit was 1980. Yeah, okay. Maybe 79. Yeah, but that's really not the bone. They that didn't play a lot of air supply on the bone. Air supply is just too gay for the bone, bro. And what's it like being a heterosexual in the San Francisco Bay Area? <laughs> surprisingly it's very common luke it's not it's not a marginalized group it's just uh the gay district is very uh i don't say it's circumscribed it sort of permeates every but it's if you're in the city to be gay you're about your identity is gay and it's about being gay and doing gay things with gay people there's basically a handful of neighborhoods you're going to move to. And if you're not gay and you want to be away from it, you go to those other neighborhoods and then you find it's just as heterosexual as everywhere else. So yes, it's gay, but it's not that gay. Okay. When did you last go swimming in the ocean? November. Right. Yeah, I know. It's, you know, well, yeah, I'm going to go. I went to the beach today. I started contemplating going in again, but it's colder now, Luke. The, low, the water is really cold and the air is cold. And that's just a new level of commitment that I'm not ready to. I'm not ready for, Luke. I got to I have to psych myself into it. It takes a, it takes a, an act of will. But there was, I was at the beach today and someone was in. I was very impressed. So what are Elliot Blatt's three keys to the 49ers winning today? Oh, all right. One, they want to win this game. They got to get the ball in the end zone. Okay. Right. Two, they got to get the job done on defense. At three, they got to run the ball. Yeah. Yeah. If the 49ers run the ball for over 150 yards, I, I don't see how Dallas can win the game. So I think the number one key to this game is can the 49ers run the ball versus can the Cowboys stop the 49ers running the ball? Because if the 49ers let loose for over 150 yards on the ground, I don't see how they can lose. But if 
if the game ends up in the hands of Jimmy Garoppolo, I think that the, the Cowboys have excellent chances of, of getting turnovers because he's turnover prone. So, so you'd say Dallas is a better um, offensive or defensive team? Uh, Dallas is a better offensive team. Uh, so their their defense is kind of middle, or yeah, middle middle top ten to middle. While their their offense is number one offense in the NFL. Wow. Mm-hmm. Now, when you watch a football game, do, are you do you just watch the ball and then where the ball's going and who's got the ball and how many yards they get, or are you one of these guys that can watch the whole thing? like watch the blocks, identify a good block from, you know, not so good block. Can you pick up, you know, the sort of the main plot of a football play and then there's sort of the secondary plot, like the individual matchups, right? Right. Well, I'm watching the regular TV coverage, which tends to focus on the ball, but I'm playing, paying a lot of attention to the lines. So if the offensive line is dominating, that team is going to win 75% plus of the time. So if the offensive line is bullying the defense, then it's pretty much game over. So on the other hand, if the defensive line is bullying the offensive line, then then uh, the odds are 75% that the, the, the team that's bullying is going to win. So whatever team is bullying the other team, is blowing them out, is such a physically intense game, uh, that usually decides things more than the the performance of the skill players. So... I pay attention to what's going on on the line. So what does it look like? So how do you know? I mean, obviously there's sacks and stuff like that. So if there's a lot of sacks, obviously defense is winning. So what's the biggest signal that the offensive line is bullying? Oh, if how far the running back goes before he's even touched. So if the running back is past the line of scrimmage before he even gets touched, then the offensive line is bullying the defense. On the okay. other hand, if the, the running back is consistently getting touched behind the line of scrimmage, then the defensive line is bullying the offensive line. Okay. So you think that's where the game, most games are won and lost? It's yeah. It's just that, that brutish clash of brawn. Yeah, th- there is an exception with a really good passing team. They yeah. can be bullied, but if they get the ball out quickly. So the typical time that a quarterback has to throw the ball is about two and a half seconds. Mm-hmm. So if they can get the ball out in in two seconds, and get it to a guy, then and and then he he runs, then then the the weaker team can can often win. So if you've got a superb passing offense and and you, your quarterback's got a quick release, you're just getting the ball out very quickly. So the defensive line is not getting to your quarterback, and you're just getting it out there. Just short passes is kind of a substitute for a running game to dominate with the running game. You need to bully the other team with your offensive line. But if you're not able to bully the other team, if you just get the ball out very quickly to your receivers, then if they're quick or if they're agile and they run, they may get, turn a, a two-yard pass into a 22-yard play. So that's, that would be the main exception. If you've got an exceptional passing offense and your quarterback is skilled at getting the ball out very quickly. Uh, some teams like to throw the long ball, like uh, Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. Tom Brady, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers... Uh, he needs a lot of protection. You need a lot of time to throw the long ball. The, the quarterback needs to have at least three seconds free in the pocket to throw the long ball. So you can't do that if you're getting beaten up by the defensive line. So is that was that what made Brady such a good quarterback, is his long passes? 
No, he was not primarily a long passing quarterback until he joined the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So uh, the coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, his philosophy is win or lose, we drink. And his philosophy is also no risk it, no biscuit. So he loves to throw the ball long. What uh, made Brady so good was his very quick release. So he's not particularly agile. He's very slow, but he's got a very quick release of the ball. He releases the ball in about 0.3 of a second, which is even better than he was doing, say, in his first couple of years in the NFL. So even the guy, the guy's 45 years old, he can still release the ball in 0.3 of a second. And so the defensive line is not going to get to the quarterback usually before the two-second mark. So if Brady is seeing an open receiver and getting rid of it before the two-second mark, then then uh, your team, your offense is usually in pretty good shape. Mm. Also, the more time your quarterback gets, the more often your quarterback gets hit, the less sharp he's going to get. Like it, it changes you when you get hit. You know, yeah. your thinking process slows down. So even soccer players, after they head the ball, they are less intelligent. Yeah, and just, just yeah, that, I can that 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 threat. Like I, when I played soccer, I hated heading the ball because it really hurts your head. So it shakes up your brain. And so yeah. you're less intelligent after you've been hit hit in the head. And then after you've been hit by some 300-pound defensive lineman, you're going to be less intelligent. And when you're less intelligent, your reflexes also slow down. Your thinking slows down and your reflexes slow down and your body hurts and you're not going to operate as effectively. So if, if uh, the San Francisco 49 is a consistently pounding Dak Prescott, even if they don't sack him, they're, they're at least hitting him, that, mm -hmm. that takes a toll. Yeah, I never liked that thing in soccer because I always worried about hitting like head-to-head -head contact without Oh, yeah. It yeah. seems like terrible. Oh, yeah. You you go up for a ball and someone else does and smack, youch. Yeah, I don't know. Well, what was your best sport growing up? Skiing. <laughs> I, I was on the ski team. <laughs> That's where all the non-athletes were. <laughs> well, the non-gifted athletes Skiing, yeah. That's what, you you know, very few schools had ski teams. But it was great. It was a great childhood. Okay. And uh, what can you tell me about the trajectory of Andy Worski? People have been encouraged me to talk about the trajectory of Andy Worski. Well, so, yeah, it looks like. So during his heyday, I mean, it was always rumored, but he basically, you know, he admitted it. He was really way into cocaine and um but during the course of that his his life basically collapsed his shows collapsed his popularity collapsed his money disappeared you know he hit the proverbial uh rock bottom and he started um you know seeing a therapist and reassessing things and seems like he starts making more mature decisions. So, um, you know, from he, he says that he rarely drinks now. He doesn't, he's not completely uh, abstemious, but he rarely drinks. He claims not to do cocaine anymore. And he's, I guess he says he's working now. When he says working, I don't know if that's outside of live streaming or not, but seems like he might have like a job too. So, um, and what's he mainly doing? I, I remember he was on Ethan Ralph's show for what a year or two. Yeah, and they seem to have fallen out pretty hard. They have, they have, 
And, you know, I haven't seen Ethan Ralph in probably over two years. Um, you know, I've seen the clips and stuff, but I have to actually tuned into a show. Um, uh, yeah, but they were tight. But they were always in and out, you know? That was part of the charm. Like, they were... Today they're fighting, tomorrow they're buddies, you know? There's a certain... So you don't know if these fights are staged or not, you know? That's a certain <laughs> trick that comedians do. You know, they feud with other comedians just for the just for the show, you know, just for the laughs. So, but I, I do think the falling out is real um, between he and Worski. Um, but that's where you, Luke, that's where you basically, Andy Worski gave you your start. Yeah, a lot of I remember how excited I was going on that show because there were like 2,600 live viewers and I was just like watching the chat and I'd say something and, Five, 10 seconds later, people are starting to respond. It was absolutely intoxicating. So after going on that show, started live streaming pretty much every day ever since. So going on that show changed my life. So do you think uh, Andy would uh, come on your show as a guest and talk about his journey? I, I think so. I'd uh, have to find contact email. I, have, I'm unaware like of a, any a bad blood. I'm sorry? To him? Do you have a channel that you could get to him through? Yeah, I'll have to uh, have yeah. to look into that. So, I was I was always more interested in what JF P had to say, but I thought Andy Worski was a genial and entertaining host. Yeah, that's the sense I got. He's very so, affable. He's like yeah. a people person, uh, not necessarily the sharpest tool in the shed. So. But I think JF was much more entertaining when he was paired with Andy Worski rather than on his own. True. Well, in those days, JF was sort of kind of giving, you know, kind of the white nationalist 101 view of things. Mm -hmm. And Worski was sort of the inquisitive newbie that yeah. sort of, he sort of spoke for the new audience. So, and, J, and basically JF would lecture him but he was really talking to the, the wider audience. He was sort of stand in for the naive questions, I guess. But I, I really think he was like was the a... cousin Greg. Do you watch uh, Succession? No. Oh, okay. No, uh, no was like the cousin Greg. So cousin Greg is this uh, cousin of the the powerful family who sort of you know, flits around on on the outside and tries to tries to worm his way in. But he's very much an outsider, and as such, he's a surrogate for the audience. I see. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, do you think that whole thing with JF? Do you think that was just a calculated move by JF? What, I remember falling that out with Andy Wosky. Well, the falling in, the uh, the initial. I don't know if you remember this, um, but J they lived. They were both from Canada, but I think JF drove. Worski is in Toronto, and JF is in. Quebec, I believe. And I think it's a considerable drive, like maybe six hours. And JF drove to Andy to, you know, introduce himself. He really wanted to get on that show. He was always a guest, but then he made this personal appeal or this pitch where he he drove there to Andy Worski to be on the show in person. Calling in wasn't sufficient. 
So I was trying, I think he was trying to use his force of personality to become the co-host or. Yeah. And, but he was basically using Andy Warsey. He was trying to steal his audience. Yeah. JF has talked about that pretty honestly, how he, you know, used all sorts of shows and and people to, to build himself up and, and he did it very effectively. Yeah. Well, then, uh, do you remember the famous low, Q, low IQ interruptions? From Andy? Andy? From JF to Andy. I'm not sure. Andy, I'm sick of your low IQ interruptions. Oh, no. You don't remember that? No. It's one of the biggest days on the internet. <laughs> and, then, and then Andy was completely slack-jawed, by, just completely <laughs> flabbergasted by that. And uh, you could tell that the days were numbered after that. Yeah. Let's uh, tell me if you can, uh, if you can hear this, I'll see if I can play some Andy Warsky. Yeah, here. the new Joker. On the- can you hear that? I cannot. Oh. Are you playing a live stream? Yeah. So, so just- should I do this sling or not? Um, well, find a way to watch the game because it's about to start. So. Why don't you stay on mute and see if you can find a way to watch the game? Right. So, right. and then I'll come back to you. All right. So uh, let's play a little here from. Uh, table. Tom Widows. Ladies and gentlemen, our latest Joker that's set for a feltoning, a feltastic feltoning, is Beardson Beardley. <laughs> now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm proud to let you know to break the news to you. Our friend Beardson Beardley's had a no good, very terrible week, has he not? Brother Andy, can you please bring up the Beardson divorce intro clip? Oh. And let's, just, let's let let's let Beardson tell you in his own words what's happened to him this week. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch now. Duplicate that. We're gonna put up. The Beardson Joker card over here. We'll take out the Nick one for now. Put that over there. All right. So we're opening up. Sorry. Can you remind me what's this clip called? The Beardson Divorce Intro? Beardson Divorce okay. Intro. Very straightforward here at the Keto Casino. Very straightforward. Fucking. Holy shit, dude. I'm losing my mind. Okay. Uh. Well, this seems a bit tough. It's not like Beardson would ever go after anyone personally or attack their spouse or attack a person for going through a difficult time. But uh, it's good to see that uh, Andy Worski has achieved inner peace and sobriety. Wait, where's the... um? Oh, shit. One second, bro. There we go. Okay. All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> All right. Let me, let me lower the uh, the volume here at the casino. All right, guys. This is recent, by the way. This is, uh, what, three days ago, four days ago? Okay, may uh, check in a little later. Uh, meanwhile, got to keep an eye on the Cowboys. They're playing the 49ers starting in two minutes. Let's play some Len Lowry and Amy what, what would be wrong with having a lot of uh, Chinese or uh, of Indian or uh, the Korean engineers, physicians, uh, computer scientists, uh, and uh, whatnot running around here? creating value, uh, enlivening the society. I mean, I don't see how we lose from that. How do we lose? And uh, Elliot Blatt, do you have a uh, score prediction for today's game? I do. I have a slight intuition. I think 
San Francisco by one point. Okay, so but give me a score, mate. Oh, it's gonna be um, it's gonna be twenty-one twenty. So San Francisco is absolutely gorgeous. How often do you see that beauty? How often are you amongst that beauty? Uh, so the architect, there's the natural beauty, and then there's the architectural beauty. So um, I see the natural beauty all the time. I rarely, the architectural beauty is in, is interleaved with all of the uh, societal degradation. So if you're talking about like the hills and the cable cars and the Victorians and all that stuff, that's all intermit. That's all within the sort of downtown North Beach area, and that's all paused, shall we say? So, what's the natural beauty? What 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 parts of the natural beauty do you see regularly? Um, I see the um, the 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 beaches, uh, the Marin headlands. Um, and those, so the Golden Gate National Recreation Area, it's sort of, it's the big green space that sort of encompasses the Golden Gate Bridge and all the coastal areas. So I guess the no, the Northwest, uh, the Northwest quadrant of the city has a lot of natural beauty. Uh, what Have you pulled up the game? Have you got the game on there? I'm still trying to sign up for this damn thing. It won't. Let me, um, it won't let me pay. I'm going to pay. IQ. I'm doing low. This is a low IQ interruption, I'm afraid. Okay, I'll let you go back to that. All right, let me get this sorted. I'll, I'll carry the show till you right, get you your act together. All right, thanks. So I'm predicting uh, Dallas 24, uh, San Francisco 20. That's, that's what I'm hoping for. So I remember the catch. I think that was like January 12th of uh, 1982. I was watching the game with, with Neighbors. And it was unbelievable because earlier in the year, the, the 49ers had beaten Dallas something like 45 to 14. Now we're in the NFC Championship game and uh, the 49ers turned the ball over something like six times. But uh, Dallas still loses 28-27, just uh, absolutely heartbreaking. And that was the beginning of the 49er dynasty and the end of uh, that edition of the Tom Landry Dallas Cowboys dynasty. So I'll be watching... Via streaming, so I'll be about 15 seconds behind what's happening if people are watching this on TV. So, got Dak Prescott. He's completing about 69% of his passes, throwing 37 touchdowns to 10 interceptions. And uh, let's hope that Elliot Black can figure out how to live stream the game. Does the spirit of liberty beat in their breast? Okay, does the spirit of liberty beat in their breast? That's uh, Amy Wax's question about Asians. So to me, if you're going to approach this more systematically, you'd have statistics. You'd, you'd, you'd quantify love of liberty and then look at statistical analyses of different groups. I think to just, without that sort of evidence, to throw out does the spirit of liberty beat in the Asian breast, that's uh, highly provocative. To me, I think you should have certain statistics like at hand to try to make your point. Glenn, that is my question. Now, whenever I say that, here's what people say. Well, I mean, if you look at like the white legacy population, 
certainly the elites. Does the spirit of liberty beat? Well, that's not a, that's a point. I mean, I, I, yeah, that's a good. Right. I, I'm not aware of this substantial statistical difference between the attitude to liberty among Asian elites, white elites, and Jewish elites. Like, show me the statistical differences. The the politics of Anglicans is left wing. Uh, the politics of most non-Orthodox Jews is left wing. And I assume the politics of Asian elites is similarly left wing. So I'm not sure there's much of a difference here. Point. They've become so woke, but I consider that a very negative and What do you mean by the spirit of liberty? You're saying they're not Democrats or somehow they're... People who... And the spirit of liberty, again, this is so amorphous. Like if you're going to say something as provocative as that, you need to specify and quantify your point. So I remember once I damaged a whole bunch of important relationships in my life because I just said what I wrote out in a blog post, what I was thinking. And I destroyed all these relationships with some key teachers who, were, who I had previously excellent relationships with. And then after I destroyed these relationships, I went home and I rewrote my blog post put a little effort into it. I was able to make all the points I wanted to make, but without needlessly offending people. So what do you mean by liberty? People have all sorts of different definitions of liberty, and then you need to quantify it. You need to provide statistical evidence. Like just saying, does the spirit of liberty beat in their breast? That's so amorphous, it doesn't really mean anything. Who are Wiggins, I mean, small D Democrats. Who are mistrustful of... of you know, centralized concentrations of authority who have a kind of don't tread on me. Okay, so the, the dominant Anglo elites is not distrustful of central authority and doesn't really have a don't tread on me attitude. That's more people from the borderlands who came to Appalachia in the south. Right? They have that particular definition of liberty, meaning, you know, high suspicion of centralized authority. That's a very different understanding of liberty from the people who populated the Puritans who populated Massachusetts, a very different idea of liberty from the Cavaliers who populated Virginia, and a very different idea of liberty from the, the original people who populated uh, Pennsylvania, the, the Quakers. So liberty mean, means very different things to the, to the four major groups that developed the United States of America, and I, I'm referencing uh, this this book uh, by David Hackett Fisher on you know these four different Anglo folkways. They all were about liberty, but they had very different understandings of liberty. Okay, so we're coming up here, Elliot, on the first play. We've got Jimmy Garoppolo under center. He's dropping back for a pass. He's under pressure. He completes it for a first down. Elliot, what's your analysis? Oh, I'm st- I-, I signed up. I'm just trying to find the actual uh, – give me one more minute. Okay, I'll come back to you when you when you get it together. But uh, there's a there's a flag down. Uh, off at, uh, the defense is offside. So first down, big big play by the Cowboys. So I'm often watching football, and it drives me crazy. I'm seeing people line up offside. So yeah, it was Randy Gregory. He was he lined up offsides. I mean, what a low IQ move. Now he's he's a very powerful athlete, but. I've watched defensive linemen line up offsides three plays in a row. And I'm watching the game, and I can see that they're lined up offsides. Come on, man. Giving the 49ers Is there a malarkey happening? 
yeah, cut out the malarkey. Don't, Randy Gregory, stop lining up outside. Like, he's good for an unnecessary personal foul every, every game. Just like a 15-yard loss. So uh, let's see really if the 49ers sense. can establish the run. I think that's going to be key to this game. That's my one major key to this game. Oh, no. And, yes, it looks like the 49ers are very much establishing the run. And, so uh, that's a uh, just a standard. So you know, I've heard that said before. Now I know what it means. You're letting them know that they are – they got to well, be aware of the run game. Yeah, that means if if you establish the run, then the defense has to bring the safeties up closer to the line of scrimmage to try to uh, slow down your running attack. And then when the safeties are close to the line of scrimmage, then you can send your receivers long and you can be much more effective passing the ball. So, boom, stops him for a short gain. Randy Gregory, what a beast. So have you, have you located the game yet? I'm I'm here looking. I'm, I I signed up for Sling and okay. I'll, I'll wait. You can just let me know. Uh, focused and on the Bill of Rights, I'm on, on our freedoms. Should on... be the game, but nothing's coming up. So uh, I'm also using a VPN. So maybe that's the problem. Yeah, you may want to. I mean, as you're doing it legally, I mean, you signed up for Sling, so I don't think you need to use a VPN. Anyway, you can let me know when you. Yeah, we're the... getting there. So I'm tarting out here in a big way. <laughs> So it's interesting that uh, two of the 49ers' first three plays have been passes. So they know that Dallas really wants to stop the run. So they've got some wide open looks in the passing game. On our liberties, on, on play you some know, Amy Wax. small scale personal responsibility who are nonconformist in a good ways. And, you know, I think. Okay, so certainly some groups are more conformist than others because they have evolved in circumstances where to conform would dramatically increase your lifespan. So natural selection will choose people in certain environments for the quality of conformity. And in other environments, the spirit of individuality will be much more useful. Well, three of the 49er first uh, players have been passes, and they're just marching down the field here. It's been written about Asians tend to be uh, more conformist why, to whatever the so dominant... Okay, why don't you stay muted until you can okay. locate the game? Uh, ethos is. So the wokeness, I'll give you an example of what concerns me, okay, of the sort of thing that's happening. And it's very caught up with the fashionable, multiculturalist, anti-American sentiments that wokeness represents, because wokeness is now the luxury belief of the upper class. And that's what Asians think they have to ape if they're going to be upper class, they look at, you know, upper class white people and see. What well, it's not just Asians. I mean, everyone takes their, their cues from what the elite believe. Like most people want to be successful and most people want to align themselves with winners. So who are the most powerful people and what do they believe? The most successful, the most powerful, the most prestigious, most high status people. What is it that they believe? And so if wokeness is dominant among the highest status people, then other people will take their cues from that. What they believe, Asians. and they say, well, we have to believe what they believe because we want to be upper class too. So if you go into medical schools, you'll see that Indians, South Asians, are now uh, rising stars uh, in medicine. They're sort of the new Jews, I guess you could say. But 
these diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, which are poisoning the scientific establishment and the medical establishment. Right. So most uh, people on the right would agree that wokeness is poisoning the establishment. But Amy's not providing any evidence that Asians or South Asians are, are any more responsible for this than other groups. Now, and I really think they are. Who are the people on the front lines? South Asian women doctors. They are there at the barricades saying, oh, America is a racist society. It's an awful, terrible society. Of course, they chose to come here from India. Nobody ever asked them, like, why are you here? Uh, it's a terrible, awful, racist, irredeemable, evil society, and we need to revolutionize and reform it. Why are South Asian women saying that? Well, 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 is it any different than what Jewish women or Anglo women or uh, black women or Latino women are saying? I mean, the, the elites are pretty much singing from the same uh, playbook. So, Elliot, how's it going there? I can't hear you, Elliot. Uh, I, I might be succeeding. I don't know. It looks like it's only giving me the opportunity to record, but not play it live. Oh, okay, okay. So what's I, the... Yeah. I, I, um, no, you can so play what's, it what's live, the score, Luke? It's what's a seven nothing, San Francisco. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> you know, winners take what they want. Yes, and, and the <laughs> weak endure what they must. <laughs> Come on, man, learn how to use sling. So yeah, I, this is I, this is just terrible. It's so easy. Come on. I chose the exact wrong thing. <sighs> okay. So are. Ask somebody in the chat if they know some sort of service where I can stream this illicitly. You can watch it on Sling. Just uh, learn how to use it, man. It, it, it doesn't give me the, the option. It does. Have you does used Sling? 100, yes, I've had Sling for years. 100 IQ people can figure it out. Okay, so listen. All right. Are you using Sling at this no. very moment? No, I'm using YouTube TV. Okay. So find uh, it'd be the the CBS station. What's the CBS station in San Francisco? Oh, it's local. It will be on the CBS station. Oh, okay, okay. Right. So what's the CBS station? Is it Channel Two? No, have a no, TV, no, it's not Luke. Channel Two. I don't have a fucking TV. Excuse my language. I'm getting I'm getting testy, Luke. Okay. So going to sports is the wrong idea, right? It seems like the obvious idea. But Look, I'll I'll let you figure it out, and we'll come right, back I'll be to right it. Amy. Why are they in the forefront of accusing us what? and of advocating anti-American What has their South Asian this got to do with it? I mean, you just mentioned Jews yourself. You, you and I are both academics. There are a lot of Jews in the, in the academy. The academy is uh, rotten with the very wokeness that you're condemning. Let me look at a couple of tweets here. Uh, politically provoked says, base takes amidst the doxing. You know that thing he was assuring everyone he hadn't done. He likely doxed me too and my entire family. And was bragging online that he had an insider at YouTube and he has been spreading lies to get us shut down because we wouldn't platform him. Okay. And then uh, Michael Tracy tweets, both parties are increasingly organized around hyperventilating that the other will destroy civilization. Then upon taking power, the GOP passes its standard corporate tax cuts. The Dems get a middling infrastructure bill and both largely do the same thing on COVID and foreign policy. Okay, so 49ers, six first downs by four different players, dominating opening drive there. 
And uh, meanwhile, what's going on in Australia? To keep everybody safe one. You can die from the corona or get really sick. This is an important message to keep Aboriginal people safe. And the young message, a proper important one, to keep everybody safe one. You can die from the corona or get really sick. You will like pass away from this corona or you will like get really sick one. It's time to get the corona needle to keep people and country strong. Again, it's time to get them this needle, long corona, to keep them but all the people and country proper strong one. The corona needle will protect kids, old people, men and women. Well, the young corona needle gotta keep them Mel a safe one for all the kids and for all the men and women. Many people around the world have already had the needle. Big mob people all around the world been already getting but their needle. It is free and it's safe. Dijan, that needle black rona is free one and is safe one. If you're worried, talk to your clinic or medical centre or go to Roll Up for WA on the internet. Even a worrying but talk like yours one clinic or go like a hospital place or go to get himself roll up like an internet. So get your needle now and stay strong. Thank you. So you will have to get him that needle and stay proper strong one and thank you. Oh, that was powerful. Wow, that, that makes me want to go out and get vaccinated all over again. What a powerful, powerful display. Two peoples, two cultures coming together and, and working for the common good. I mean, one person speaking English, the other person speaking a, a traditional uh, Asian language. Wait, how do the 49ers have the ball again already? Oh, Dallas had to... I love to, the sound oh. of that. Oh, Luke, man. Luke, I've got a bum steer here. This, they don't let me do this. You just don't know how to... 100 IQ person knows how to work that, mate. <laughs> I know. They got, like, all this football commentary, but nothing about the actual game itself. It's weak. I, I know. No, it's it not weak. You're weak. I'm weak. I admit it. This but is, that's okay. You're still this loved. Is, this, this is totally embarrassing. Yeah, you're like the... the, uh, the uh, I, I click on NFL Live and it says upcoming, right? January 18th. Oh, today's the 16th. Look for CBS. I search for CBS. There's no, there's no CBS to be found. What's the what's the CBS station in San Francisco? Uh, CBS. It's Channel Five. So go okay. look for I KPIX. think we're talking about. I think you're talking about something else. No, there's KPIX and then there's is Channel Five. Something or other, right? I'm sorry. Air. KPIX Channel Five is the CBS station in so San Francisco. Search KPIX. Okay. It's not here. This is. I, I got a bump steer.
No. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna do something else. I'm gonna find a different okay. service. So, uh, so what do we? So where, where, where's the ball? Where's the ball? Uh, the 49ers have the ball at about their own 45 yard line. Okay. So, so how? What? What manner did they score? Was it? A, was it a run or a pass? They they ran the ball in, and now they got the they stopped the Cowboys sack. Dak Prescott, you know, sh- sh- shook him up a bit and uh, forced Cowboys to punt. And now the 49ers are taking over an excellent field position. I'm just showing a photo of a beautiful uh, Elizabeth Plain, age 23, who arrived in Queensland, Australia, on a ship called Shebassa in 1881, State Library of Queensland photo. So uh, good-looking women there coming into Australia. And I'll play a little Amy Wax and hope that Elliot Black can... Okay. Yes? Okay, I'm going to bone in the background. Is that a copyright problem? I'm sorry? If I just listen to the coverage on the bone? Yeah. I mean, that's that's not going to work for the show, but... Why no, you... it's going to be a terrible show. All right, all right I'm, going to keep, I'm going to keep slugging this out, but they're not giving me the option. I swear nah. to God, they're not giving me the option. Uh, maybe I'll just do YouTube. What are you using? YouTube... TV? TV, YouTube TV. So just sign up. Right, I'll use TV. YouTube TV. How's that? Okay, stay muted until you get it right. Yeah. All right. Am I going to blame the Jews for that? Well, yes. I, I I'm Jewish. I blame the Jews for that. She said it. Everybody. She said it. I didn't. Okay. <laughs> they have abused their prominence, abused their power, and abused their. Uh, dominance in the academy, uh, in my mind. But but and, I don't attribute you know, it to their Jewishness. I, I would attribute it to the, the logic of the institutional dynamic in which they are embedded, the academy, which has its flaws of... Yes, and I'd agree with Glenn Lowry here. ...of which the susceptibility to this kind of postmodern relativism and this obsession about... Oh, great. So Micah Parsons is now shaken up. Uh, Micah Parsons is now injured. Looks like he's concussed. Yep, Micah Parsons being taken off the field. Looks like Micah Parsons is concussed. Looks like Micah Parsons is done for the day. The best athlete on the field, the best Cowboys defender. And uh, looks like he's done for the day. Great. Identity is one. And so those who happen to be in the academy, I find disproportionately are adherents of this ideology, which I abhor. But not because they're Jews. Likewise, not because they're from India. I should have done this the whole from the very. Did you find the game? Well, I got. I'm getting warm. Why don't you stay muted until you find it? All right. Okay. So. Skip Bayless. Skip Bayless hasn't uh, doesn't have any great insights yet. Oh, see, I, I disagree with you. I think. I think there is, let, let's go back to the, the South Asians who just love to bash America and be part of the whole DIE push, right? Yeah, well, is there much difference between the, the South Asians and, say, the Anglicans and uh, the, the Hindus and the Jews? What, it, what is it about them that they are kind of scrambling all over each other to be in the forefront of this? You know, they. I, I think there is a certain... Uh, conformity uh, and and sort of instrumentalism right, to the way okay. they see rising okay. oh, what, society, what which is you know. Now you got to admit, San Francisco's the... got the better uniforms, though. 
There's no, there's no doubt about that, right? You can't hear, you can't hear, right? There's no conflict. Nope, nope, that's fine. Okay, great. So, um, I mean, who's got a better uniform than San Francisco? Oh, I'm partial to the Cowboys, man. I like the, the star on the helmet. So you even like the uniforms, those yes. drab, gray, blue prison outfits? Color of power, mate. <laughs> it's royal. Okay, it's a running game, Luke. Here we go. Ah, oh no, get him. So now how would you how would you assess that? Well, the 49ers are bullying the Cowboys on both sides of the line of scrimmage. So So that was only a two yard gain though. That wasn't really that wasn't much. Well, uh, you're either I'm behind you or you're behind me. So Okay. That's right. Two yard gain. All right. I wish we were in sync, Luke. Okay. So I'm going to play some Amy Wax, and when you have something sharp and insightful, or when I have something sharp and insightful, we'll we'll interrupt uh, Amy Wax. Principles. Forget about whether it's true or not. Forget about whether America is a good place, a bad place, or a middling place. We see that this is the trend, and we want to get on the bandwagon and be important and powerful and prominent. So we're going to. So, so far in the game, the 49ers have 99 yards of offense. The Cowboys have negative 13 yards. And uh, what are you seeing, Elliot Blatt? All right. So look, I got a question for you. So there's all these other coaches, like there's the head coach, but then there's this yes. other tier of, oh, that was devastating. Yes. That was devastating. That was a failure of the offense of the offensive line right there. That was a failure. The quarterback made a bad decision throwing it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So these these are very common in San Francisco. They make a lot of errors, a lot of mental errors. I just don't think they're going anywhere. But so you've got the head coach, right? But then there's these other, this whole phalanx of sort of sub-head coach uh, players. you got right? the defensive coordinator. you got the offensive coordinator. you got the quarterback coach. You've got the linebacker coach. you got the defensive line coach, the, the uh, cornerback coach. Now, is the head coach, Luai, is he like calling plays or is like the the defensive coach call the plays during the defensive four and then the offensive? Usually the offensive coordinator is calling the plays. He's calling the plays, so it's not the head coach. What's the head coach's job then? Uh, He oversees everything. He's like the CEO. He's the CEO, but he's not down there. He's just on the sidelines yelling. Right. He may say to the, uh, the offensive coordinator, Hey, I think we need to run more between the tackles or we need to throw long more. But uh, the actual play call will usually come from the offensive coordinator. Now, some head coaches call the plays, but okay. uh, not most don't. Now, is it like a, can a head coach override the offensive coordinator or is it that a breach of protocol? Yes, he can. He can. Yeah, the uh, the head coach can do anything. He can fire the offensive coordinator. Mid-game. He can override him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Oof. Oh. All right. So we're seeing more or less in sync. Oh, good. So, um, um. Okay. So. Um, and now, uh, is there a special teams coordinator? Or is that... Yes. Yes. So, so the Cowboys used to be near the worst in the league in special teams, but they hired Jim Fassel, who was the special teams coordinator of the Los Angeles Rams, and he's yeah. turned them into a like a top five special teams operation. 
Uh oh, Luke. Here we go. Field goal. So Robbie Gold is about 40 years old. Uh, not many 40-year-olds play professional football, but it's easier when you're the kicker and the 49ers have a 10 nothing lead. So do you think uh, Drew, Drew um, uh, Tom Brady, how many years do you think he's got left? Any, wow, let's say two. You think two? Yeah, that, that's my guess. So yeah. Yeah. it's unbelievable that he's still playing high-quality high football at age 45. Yeah, because, I mean... Do you think how long would it take you to recover from like a tackle like? Oh man, I, I I I don't like physical pain, so probably one hard tackle and I'd be out. I mean, yeah. have you played much tackle football? Well, when I was a kid, we used to play like two on two, quote unquote tackle football. But we were kids, and we would sort of we would make our little homemade pads using folded up towels and things. You know, it was cute, but. I've never played like real proper tackle football. Have you, have you been in a fight? Have you lost a fight? Have you been beaten down? Um, beaten down? No, I got punched in the face once when okay, I was in high school. It's not very fun, is it? Oh, no, no, it's not. It's not. So yeah, Andy Reid of the Kansas City Chiefs, he, he calls a lot of offensive plays. And Mike McCarthy, the Cowboys coach. And I think maybe does Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan, the 49er coach call, call the plays? Cause, uh, both McCarthy and Shanahan made, made a reputation for calling the plays. But anyway, one thing I'm noticing watching this game, Elliot, a lot of uh, gambling ads. So I think that's bad for society. I think about a third of people who gamble end up having a problem that, that uh, tends to have a negative effect on their life. What's your philosophy on gambling and gambling ads? Um, so there's, yeah, it's definitely not good. It's not good for society. Same time, it's a lot of fun for a lot of people. And it just seems, I don't know if I'm for banning it at the same time, you know? Like, it is a, it's a certain emotional release for a lot of people. And taking that away from people, I don't know. What do you think? I would, I would rather there were not gambling ads on TV. I mean, I'd rather have smoking ads on TV than gambling ads. <clears throat> I mean, but it, it's similar in that only about a third of smokers end up losing substantial lifespan from smoking. And so I guess about a third of gamblers end up uh, having quite a negative result from, from gambling. I think Australians love to gamble and Australians lose more money per person gambling than any other country in the world. Uh, <clears throat> not the UK. I thought the UK is pretty big in gambling as well. Um, Chinese, it's a very big part of Chinese culture, gambling. Right. Um, and they say that, you know, Confucian, Confucian society is actually very stressful and very rigorous. And it creates a lot. It, people need a certain, they need their outlets like that. And that's what gambling does for better or worse. And it's very true. If you ever go to a casino, you know, in the United States, it's basically bilingual. I mean, half the clientele is Chinese. You ever notice that? Uh, not sure. Uh, Australia is a much more Asian society than, than America. So I think Asians comprise about 15% of the American population and they're what, about 9% of the American population. Hmm. Um, 
Now, are the overseas Chinese or the Chinese in Australia, are they um, by and large assimilated into Australian culture? Or... It varies. So there's a problem with a lot of, uh, a lot of Chinese communist money bribing powerful people in, in Australia and, uh, and trying to restrict uh, freedom of speech on university campuses so that critics of China get uh, beat up and harassed. So China's trying to, China is trying to bully Australia just like the 49ers are bullying the, the Dallas Cowboys right now. I mean, the 49ers are hitting hard. Cowboys are dropping passes. Yeah. It's uh, so far the 49ers bullying the Cowboys. Uh, is that tension between China and, and Australia currently, is that front page news every day or is that just sort of in the background? It's in the, in the background. So it's probably one of the, the top uh, top five stories in the country. Who's got the upper hand, do you think, in that dispute? Uh, I think Australia, because I think China's falling apart. So I don't think you hear much about uh, China ruling the world anymore. Remember, we used to hear all the time the news about the rise of China, but now China's having so many problems that, uh, that you don't hear that so much. I mean, the, their property sector is so heavily leveraged and, and so deeply in debt. Yeah, I hear about that. Uh, I forget the name of that project, but it must be massive if it's people are talking about it taking down the country. Uh, whoops. Oh, man, not looking good, Luke. Not looking oh, good. Man. Butterfingers? What's going on? <laughs> What's going well, on when you bro? get hit, when you get hit, you get sloppy. Yeah. So then... is this the backup QB? No, this is Dak Prescott. That's the starting who, who QB. Got, who got taken out of the game? Micah Parsons, who's the leading defender for the Cowboys. Oh, okay. So that means that the QB, so was he one of the linemen? He was a linebacker who sometimes plays defensive line as well. So okay. He often blitzes the quarterback. He had about 13 sacks this year. Okay, so so his presence is going to be felt, you think? Yeah. His absence is going to be felt. Yes. Oh, look at that, wide open. What the hell is this, Luke? Woo! What kind of... <laughs> What kind of crap is that, dude? Uh-oh. So C.D. Lamb is an incredibly elusive receiver, so... Oh, uh, holding. Who's against? Yeah. The Cowboys killing themselves. Ugh. Just mental mistakes, Luke. Yeah, you get the hand in the ball in the hands of C.D. Lamb, a lot of great things happen because he's so elusive. But mm. he, he tends to drop a lot of balls, and his, his, right, his routes are not as... Uh, it's not as precise as the other wide receiver, Cooper. The whole like long passing game has always amazed me about football, like the the precision involved in like yeah. make completing a long pass. And then there's all these rules about contact. You know, there's defensive pass interference and then offensive pass interference, which is a bit ironic. Oh, look at that! What, what the heck? That? What was that, Luke? This is ridiculous. It's just mental mistakes, one after the yep, other. Yep. This is just low IQ. Low, low IQ. Low IQ <laughs> so, uh, so do you think you know, how much about football do you know? Do you know like all the technicalities? Like there's all kinds of very, very subtle rules in football, you know? Yeah, like, I wouldn't say I'm an expert. I'd say I'm... Uh moderate 
Yeah, so, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm catching up, you know? This is, I should know this by now. I should know all these. So do the 49ers, they, they're on the, the are they, the games are covered by the bone? Oh, they are, yeah. Got, got like one of these old school announcers, you know? Um, sounds like an older guy. Much He's probably, you know, into his 70s now, but he's incredibly passionate. And then he, uh, I'm going to scream a little bit here. Whenever there's a touchdown, he has this sort of signature call out. He goes, touchdown, San Francisco. You know, that's his, he delivers it the exact same way every single time, you know? So that's sort of his, his money, his money shot. Uh, I don't know his name, but he does a good job. Uh, I never thought I'd like listening to football on the radio, but there's a certain, um, uh, a certain John art. Miller, Dave Fleming, Dwayne Kuyper, and Mike Rukow. Those those names those names sound familiar, but do you like? There's a lot of skill involved in. Uh, do you think you could call a football game like that? Yes, that that was something that I dreamed of doing as a kid, and I got to do it. Uh, got to do it once. Yeah. I was the third announcer. We were covering the Placer County versus Nevada County uh, sheriff's departments. They were playing a tackle football game to raise money for charity. And I replaced Jim Otto. So Jim Otto was the uh, star center for the Oakland Raiders in the 1960s and 70s. But he was so injured by his work that he eventually had to have his right leg uh, amputated. He owned, he owned uh, some Burger Kings in, in the Auburn area. So he was quite a businessman, and he would uh, I think he would buy ads on the radio station. But when he didn't buy ads, or there was some kind of falling out, uh, I took his place as the third announcer for this game. And mm-hmm. you know he was not very mobile because of his injuries, and so he he like uh, stalked up to the, to the top of the the stadium where we were announcing the game, and no one told him that he wasn't uh, he wasn't on our broadcast. So he must be gone through a lot of pain to try to maneuver his way up up the stairs to the top of the stadium to announce the game only to find that yeah i need to find that i'd taken his place so (laughs) yeah i dreamed about becoming a football announcer and uh i i wrote to all these sports uh sports reporters on on tv and on radio and tried to get tips on how to become a successful announcer and some of them like wrote me back joe starkey who was the sports director at kgo radio and uh some of the other uh, sports anchors, you know, wrote me back. They were really nice. It was thrilling for a 12, 13-year-old kid. I got to talk to Mike Adamley. He used to host the NFL show with uh, Ryan Gumbel on NBC. And I ran into Mike Adamley at SeaWorld and got to talk to him for about 20 minutes. And uh, you know, I wanted to become a sports announcer, but never, never made the dream a reality. Um. Uh, but isn't that sort of like breaking into Hollywood? You kind of have to know someone at the same time. You can be good, but yeah, it's one of those jobs where a hundred thousand people want it for every one person who actually gets to do it. Yeah, yeah. But it is, <laughs> is there a formal process, or you just have to work your way? You start with college. Yeah, then... often you'll start oh. working it for free at a, at a college radio station or a yeah. high school radio station. And then if you show some spark of talent, word gets around, and then then you get to fill in for the uh, main guy, you know, eventually. Yeah, so you, you work your way up. You you make yourself useful. 
right? You, yeah. you have to be competent. You have to have a good voice. You have to have knowledge. You have to have a nice personality. And then you might, you might DJ at a radio station. You might uh, intern. There are all sorts of ways that you can make yourself useful and, and work your way hey, up. What do you think the state of uh, terrestrial radio is? Is it just a wasting asset or is it? It's in decline. I mean, I, yeah. the only time I heard the radio was when I was in Australia for two months as my brother would, would put it on in the morning when he was eating his breakfast. Uh, but, uh, my, my sister never listens to the radio and, uh, you know, I used to have like a handheld radio. It was a big part of my life, but you know, I'd never do that now. Yeah. I'm wondering like, you know, in more rural parts of the country, if it's still, um, cause you know, cell phone coverage isn't as ubiquitous in these rural parts of the country as it is here. So I don't know if streaming is necessarily... Wait, where do you think they don't have real... cell phones? Where do, you, where do you think they don't? I mean, there are cell phones throughout the U.S. They do, but the, if you drive, if you go on a long-distance drive, like Nevada, you go through, there's stretches of Nevada where there's no cell phone service. Really? Still. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You need a tower every so many miles to, to keep it going. So there's patches, you know? It's very mm -hmm. patchy. Oh, here we go. What's that, a flea flicker? No. It's... It's a flicking. They're flicking. They're definitely flicking, uh, Elliot. But I was surprised in Australia that I was virtually never out of signal. So huh. Australia's got a really good uh, cell phone network. Mm. So you think there'll come a day when you just turn on the radio and it's just dead air across the band? No, I mean, there'll always be radio just like, uh, you know, there, there'll always be books, but people aren't reading as many books. People aren't listening to as much radio they're not watching as like over the air tv is is a dying industry as well so how, how about paying in cash i was noticed in australia 90 percent of people don't don't use cash do you prefer to use cash or a debit card or a credit card i prefer cash i'm not opposed to using the card but um i like having a wad of bills in my pocket for some reason it makes it feels real to me like I don't know. I think I'm a bit more. Um, I don't know if I'm more. Do you find that having a you're more deliberative when you are about to spend cash versus using an ATM? Ah, yes, yes. So uh, that's that's the advice in in debt is anonymous. Is they say they they don't mind a debit card, but no credit cards. Yeah, so people tend to be more deliberative with, with cash. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, local merchants, I think they prefer cash because uh, there's a transaction fee associated right. with uh, debit cards and things. You know, I just prefer them to get the, the full amount for what it's as trivial an amount as it is. You know, uh-oh, controversy, Luke. So what do you think the chances now? What do you think the final score is going to be, Luke? Any any uh, mid-game uh, revisions? You still so ESPN, one of the great things about ESPN is they put a uh, a percentage of, of who's going to win. Yeah. And so they put the odds that the 49ers win as 70, 70%. So starting wow. into the game, they probably had the Cowboys at like 58% likelihood of winning. Yeah. But it uh, shifted now to 68%. So like after every day. play, they yeah they adjust it. So yeah. prior to that last play, it was seventy percent. But then, after the forty nine er runner got 
pulled down for a one-yard loss, they they reduced it to 68%. All right, here's what I predict. Here's a side prediction. No betting, of course, because we don't approve of gambling. But the 49ers will make a really disastrous turnover, at least one in this game. So does that console you? Yeah, because uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is a turnover machine. Also, Micah Parsons is back in the game, so he's the he's the best athlete on the field, and that really helps the Cowboys. Oh, he came back. He's yes. not up. Yeah, I was okay. afraid he might be out, but it's all that he now, came back. You know, uh, when I was living in Boston, I had uh, I used to go to a gym, and uh, one of the denizens of like the gym there was a former NFL player for the Atlanta Falcons. Mm-hmm. His name is Mike. I forgot his last name. Uh, but, you know, he, this is at least 20 years since he's played when I, when I knew him. And he was in a lot of pain. Yeah. You know? oh, and this guy would, there was a couch, there was sort of like a lounge area in the, in the locker room. And he would just lay down on this couch and it took him like five minutes to stand up. He was really in a lot of pain, but he would sort of narrate the, with the, the football game on TV and he would point out all this stuff that nobody would see. Mm-hmm. Like he would, he would know to block. Oh, that was a good block. Did you see that block? You know, all these subtleties that only a professional could notice. So it was really actually kind of fun to uh, watch a game with him in the room, getting that sort of expert level analysis. But we actually watched the game where uh, Brady took over for Bledsoe. Oh, really? Yeah. That happened in that locker room. I got to witness that. And uh, Brady just lit it up. And he basically, he cucked, <laughs> he cucked Bledsoe, <laughs> took his job. So Bledsoe got injured and he was out for two or three weeks. And then Blade, you know, Brady just gone on this huge tear. I think they must have won every game in his absence. And it was this big talk radio subject, you know. Is Brady going to go back to the bench, you know, or is he going to get Bledsoe's job? You know, really furious debates about it. It was really, really exciting. And then ultimately uh, Brady got the job. So yeah. in America, Luke, merit always rises at the top in the end. Well, I mean, it is a meritocracy and, yeah. and success is respected more in America than any other country, which I'm aware. I mean, yeah. Becoming a success, people will respect that. Yeah. Bledsoe was a pretty good quarterback in his own right. Uh, Yeah, he he was a good quarterback, but he was careless with the ball. So Brady was very careful with the ball. So it's the it's the quality of of diligence, of uh, concern and and care. And so Brady just had much more of it than Bledsoe. So what do you think? What do you think the average IQ of a NFL quarterback is? So the average IQ of an NFL quarterback would be about 125, which is about our level. Mm-hmm. Um, some, like I think Eli Manning was something like 140. Wow. Uh, so it would definitely get, get reduced by the amount of uh, hits that they take. Like every time you get smashed in the head, yeah. you know, it would rattle, rattle your, your brain around. So generally speaking, the people closest to the center are the most intelligent players. So the center, the quarterback, and the offensive line tend to be the most intelligent players. The running backs, the wide receivers, the the defense, and the defensive backs tend to be the least intelligent. 
That's totally not what I would expect. That's interesting. Yeah, because the offense, the purpose of the defense is to destroy. Yeah. And then the purpose of the offense is to make very precise moves to try to build something. So the offensive linemen have to know a lot of different plays. Like the, the, they have different blocking assignments. And so offensive line usually requires uh, qu quite a deal. Intelligence and centers, they have a lot of responsibility for setting up blocking assignments. And hmm. so they tend to be highly intelligent. Now, the call-out, the coding system, you know, that the, the, the QB, the quarterback shouts out these. Yeah, 49, San Francisco, 81. Yeah. That's... So does this code change every week? Is this? They, they would have to change it. Otherwise, um, otherwise, other teams would just, you know, read their plays. So, so th there would be some changes and some, some continuity. So they have like three modes. I mean, um, so I could see that. I could see why, if that were the case, the offensive line would have to be quite intelligent because they would have to do right. a lot of decoding that information and then acting accordingly. And the price for not interpreting the uh, code correctly could be disastrous. For the, for the yeah, team. you could, like, when a fullback missed a block for the Cowboys in, I think, 2010, uh, Tony Romo got hit so hard he broke his uh, collarbone and he was oh, out man. for the rest of the year. So one bl missed blocking assignment and your QB could well be done for the season, if, if not his career. Wow. Now, um, hmm. And so a lot of their, their salaries is guaranteed. So, you know, Dak Prescott probably has $120 million guaranteed. So if he, if he gets, if his career gets ended today, Cowboys are still on the hook for tens of millions of dollars. Really? They have to pay it all out, huh? Yeah. Didn't that happen to a big baseball player? Uh, maybe yeah, yeah it happens ago? all the time in sports. Because players get contracts with a certain amount guaranteed, and then some of it will be like an incentive bonus. What if they say, I've got a weed allergy, I can't play anymore? Uh, you could send... And, and Let's take that case seriously. So... He would yeah. be he would be sent to a, a doctor and uh, the doctor would make a determination. And so I don't mm. think any doctors would say, oh, you know, he can't play football anymore because of a weed allergy. So therefore, he would then be breaking the terms of the contract. Also, mm. in all contracts, there's like a morals clause. If you do anything to embarrass the organization, you, know, you can be dismissed without any further payout. Really? Yeah. So they take it that seriously. So yeah. a big like a big politically incorrect embarrassment. could. Yeah cost you your career in a yep. big way wow. yep. there was a uh, australia's top rugby player he made some posts on instagram quoting all he did was quote the bible mm -hmm. and it said these people won't make it to the kingdom of heaven adulterers and uh, a long list of people and then homosexuals was, was one of them mm. and his career was ended because mm. of these instagram posts because he'd been he'd been talked to before by the australian rugby board, you know, don't make these kind of posts because rugby was trying to be more gay friendly. Mm -hmm. And so he got into a lot of trouble. He, his career was ended. He, he lost millions and millions of dollars and he sued the, the rugby league and he lost his, uh, lost his lawsuit. Uh -oh, so Luke. Israel Falau was his name. Luke, bad yep. news, bro. 13, nothing. <laughs> Uh, 
So how much how much did he lose out on? How much money did it cost? Oh, he would have lost about ten million dollars. Wow. So ESPN puts the 49er win percentage at 75. Wow. Now, uh, how are you going to console yourself if uh, Cowboys end up losing? Uh, I'm not sure, but uh, I'll probably say something like, doesn't really matter. It's just a stupid game. (laughs) But how will you feel inside, Luke? I would just try to think about other things. Yeah. Uh, so when, for example, after the Cowboys win, I we read a lot more articles about their win. Yeah. And I watch highlights and analyses. But yeah. after the Cowboys lose or my team loses in, in any sport, I won't read nearly as much about the game because the well, more I read about it, the more I think about it. Well, if they lose, if they lose, Luke, you can always watch the Australian Open. Are there, are there any sports that you watch? Well, obviously not. You don't subscribe well, to. Well, uh, I used to watch a lot of tennis. That's, I was really upset about this uh, Novak thing. I, I, uh, he's really, you know, what he's done with tennis in the age that he did it in. So he, he became world number one in an era. He's possibly the best of all time. And he yes. did it in an era when there's two other players that are also legitimate candidates for that honor. So he he beat some really quality competition, you know, and just the quality of the tennis game now is just so good. And it's just really a shame to have it besmirched by this ridiculous scandal, but we shan't go there. So the, the ornery qualities that make many people successful are also qualities that limit them. So Djokovic isn't kind of an ornery personality. And obviously that, that personality helps him in, in his tennis game, but then it causes him trouble outside the court. And so I wouldn't call him ornery. I call all tennis players incredibly determined. Mm-hmm. I mean, tennis is almost like boxing in a lot of ways. It's, it's a one-on-one competition and you're really trying to wear down your opponent, you know, physically and mentally. And you have to have this, you know, never, never say die attitude. So, and I don't think, you know, a lot of people, okay. Novak gets a lot of guff because he's, you know, Slavic in origin. So his English isn't quite as, um, it's a little rougher than say a Roger Federer who's, like fluent, I think, in four languages. Um, you know, Roger Federer is just an amazing athlete if you actually consider the range of his accomplish- accomplishments and just ha- what an impeccable character he is. Just on and off the court, he's just, you know, a- an amazingly refined personality, you know. And the other, the other one, Rafael Nadal, He's not as smart as Federer, but he has this sort of boyish charm that people like. He's just got this sort of almost Andy Worski-esque uh, guilelessness about him. And so people find that very endearing. And then Novak, unfortunately, has this sort of rigid, somewhat, you know, <clears throat> a gritty Slavic personality that just doesn't come off well on camera. But he's actually just a very decent person himself. 
So I, 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 it's a shame that such a good tennis player would have to compete with two other personalities that are also just really exceptional. So. Yeah. But the, the, the game is so good now. I mean, the, the top 20 right now can all beat each other. And they're just, they all have different styles. It's just such a fun game to watch. But if I started watching tennis, I'd have no free time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so it's a lot. Do you have a favorite, a person that you root for? <clears throat> well, I like this, this Russian, uh, Daniel Med, uh, Daniel, I want to get his name, Medvedev, I think. Yeah. Uh, he, he's, I think, uh, he's fun to watch. And he's, he's also, he's also got a very good sense of humor. Uh, so I enjoy him. But there's also these, um, there's, there's a, uh, I think he's a Australian or part Abo. Uh, what's his name? Nick Karagos? Oh, Karagos? okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've heard the name? Yeah. I don't know if he's part Aboriginal or not. I think but so. He has got, uh, he has got some showmanship in his game that is just outstanding. You know, when he's on, he not only wins, but he wins with a certain panache that just is amazing to see. So but he's a, go ahead. Well, I think he's actually uh, just come out and uh, confessed that he's sort of suffering with sex addiction. So does Nadal play a serve and volley game or is he more of a baseline player? Well, Nadal is probably the best clay court player. He can win on the other surfaces, but he he's sort of a little bit off his game now. He's basically ready to retire. But when he was in his prime, he could pounce across the court, you know, laterally like a cheetah, like a, like a cat, like three bounds, you know, and he could just scramble to get a point off of, off of the off of the Dell. You know, nobody tried harder than the Dell. You know, he really fought for every single point, no matter what the score. And he was just so quick and agile laterally. Um, it just made, he played a very, and then he played with a, a very physical style, like a lot of topspin, you know? Uh, and so he would just come up some, with some really amazing shots. So. Uh, He's probably the most physically built uh, of any tennis player I can think of. I mean, he, he's the most physically powerful. I would say so. Yeah. In a certain like full Big muscles. Yeah. Mu but like muscles throughout his body, not just mm -hmm. certain, you know, just this sort of scrappy white. Um, I don't know what the right word is, but sort of like a cat is built, you know, this sort of punchy, explosive power to his, um, yeah. his, his tennis. So, uh, and just the physical endurance. He just—I don't know. So he There's, mainly plays the baseline. He doesn't come to the net very much. Yeah, he, he is primarily a baseliner. That's right. And he—he <clears throat> he will wear you down. So his ball hits with so much spin. Yeah. That it just—it's exhausting to return. It just takes—it saps the energy out of your stroke when you try to hit it back. So you have to absorb all of that—the pace, all the. Uh, oh, here we go, Luke. Here we go. Uh oh, on the board, Luke. On yes! the board. <laughs> Touchdown, Cowboys. <laughs> What's the percent, Luke? And, and you saw that drive that the Cowboys were bullying the 49ers for the first time because they drove yeah. down the field on the basis of their running game. Yeah. And uh, so 
that that when so one the, possession game, Luke. Yeah, when your offensive line can can bully the other team, that has an effect on your your overall team. Like yeah. it, uh, he was it wide feels really open. good. Wide open. I could have caught that, Luke. So I don't know. Yeah, uh, Nadal, um, but Novak never makes mistakes. Like never. He never makes like his unforced errors are almost nil. You know. He play. Um, he has just such a well-rounded game, both mentally and physically. Just he doesn't beat himself, and that's sort of a. It's sort of like a very underappreciated. Um, it's not a flashy way to win, you know. But just the, just being uh, just dependable and reliable, and just so consistent, um, and that that attribute is sort of his his. Uh, his key attribute to his game. And uh, how did you deal with the news that uh, Jack Murphy used to be a porn star and a cuck? <laughs> it barely, uh, barely scratched my attention. I never knew who he was until he, until he became, uh, you know, an object of ridicule. Had you heard of him prior to this? Yeah. I, I just uh, listened to some of his YouTube interviews. I'd never, I never thought about him aside from the guest that he'd have on his show. Mm. Uh, what about uh, what's going on with uh, Jen's show? I haven't been tuning in. Um, that show sort of comes on when I'm winding down. So I guess I, she substituted Duvid for you. Yeah, yeah, David cucked me in that show, that's for sure. Um, well, we say, we the three of us used to be on, and David would be one of the panelists, and David would just, I would talk to David, and I would ask him a question, and he would just answer a different question. Yes, you know? yes. And I thought this was like a one-off, a two-off, a three-off thing, and then it, it appeared to be some sort of strategy he was using. I mean, he was really trying to just elbow me out, and he succeeded. So it was very, very frustrating. <laughs> but then I then I realized what the stakes actually were. You know, and sort of put it in perspective. So you, how how are the mushrooms going for you? Uh, I haven't done mushrooms since the summertime. I keep planning to, um, but. Now, I, I don't know if this is a consequence of the, the initial uh, mushrooms, but I just went on this whole sort of root and branch reorganization of my, my apartment. And it's, it's sort of dragged on because there's always new things to do. Once you start, once you start uh, cleaning and organizing, you notice this curtain I have in the back here? Oh, very classy. So I put that there because... On the other side of this curtain is just a bunch of garbage that I, I don't want to look at that needs to be sorted through and uh, thrown away and filed away and all that kind of stuff. So I'm nearly done, but <clears throat> so I haven't done mushrooms in a long time, but it's sort of forced this exhum exhumation of all sorts of long forgotten, long postponed, long uh, avoided tasks that needed to be done and I'm now doing that. I'm churning through them. And I'm, I can actually see the end of the uh, the light at the end of the tunnel. And it's just a really good feeling. 
So I can't necessarily say that this couldn't have happened with, uh, without mushrooms, but it certainly seemed to be a catalyst. And uh, what about marijuana? Have you done much uh, dope? Uh, I smoked pot maybe four years ago, but I've been doing CBD tactically. Are you doing the CBD that's got the the stuff that makes you high? TC? Is it TH? I don't think so. I don't oh, think it is okay. THC, but it does yeah, give me a certain, um, like a wave of relaxation. Yeah, yeah. I, I do CBD as well. So do you consider that? marijuana use no because it, it doesn't have any thc in it, at least what i'm doing so uh just helps me sleep yeah I, i'm really like it's not you know i like i said when i'm on a when i feel like on a conference call or something and i'm not i'd rather not be there and the stress is really mounting up and me wanting to get off the phone i i use it i use cbd to sort of just calm me down just to get me through the end of the call without without an embarrassing emotional outburst that's what how about I use. crack? Have you ever used crack for that? <laughs> I've never used crack. I don't think I've ever seen crack. What about Coke? Uh, I've saw Coke once. I've never done it. Nor would I be inclined to. Uh, I was staying with a guy in, in London yeah. and uh, we were we were going to go out to a nightclub and he said, you know, I need a bump. And he, like, he had a really filthy apartment and he had a filthy desk and yeah. he just like cleaned up a little portion of it. And like yeah. put out some Coke and, and did a bump of, of Coke. And uh, I'd never seen that before. I, I think that's the only time in my life. And also, while I was staying with him, I walked in on him three separate times when he was masturbating. <laughs> <laughs> do you tie the, so those two things associate? Do you tie those two together? I, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever walked in on a guy masturbating. And I can't I, say that I have either. No, I've, I, I've never. And have. it's not really something you want to walk in on no it's not <laughs> oh fuck i just broke my that happens to me i'm always busting my um my my grip uh my grip things Ugh. always breaking them i'm just too powerful oh quarterback's down he's wincing luke did you see that yeah he got hit uh-oh i think the t i think the scales are turning luke yeah, well, the Cowboys have to feel better. They they got a they got a touchdown, and then they're they're doing better on defense. Oh, it's another field goal, though. Uh oh, this guy's gold. Is he money though? His name is Gold. Got a nice gold helmet. Oh no! So he uh -oh. kicks fifty-two year old. Oh no. Okay, Luke. What's the percentage? Okay. So, so yeah, so once I <clears throat> I saw a guy. Um, I didn't know him. He was sort of a guest of a friend. And he just like spilled out some cocaine, put it on the uh, kitchen table, and just <laughs> snorted it right in front of me. I was completely scandalized by this. <laughs> I grew up in the country, Luke. I'm a country boy. These these big city vices are still, um, yeah, they, they still. Uh, so, if you could make a living in the country, would you move to the country? Um. Yes. And I could make a living in the country. I've, so, I haven't, I haven't, since COVID, I haven't entered an office in two years. Wow. Since, since COVID. So, yeah, I think I could make a living in the country. Uh, I wouldn't have to even give up my current job, but I'd have to give up my, uh, 
routine, which I kind of like. I like my routine. I think I'm in a very positive routine. So and tell me about your routine. You mainly play on the baseline or you serve and volley, man? <laughs> when I play tennis, I was a baseliner completely. I had no net game whatsoever. But uh, maybe like six years ago, I. this is how you know you're getting older. It's like you, you, you play tennis and then when you're 30s, maybe you ache the next day, you know. But then for me, it turned out to be like three days. Yes. First, then it was one day, then two days, and then three days when I felt relatively normal again. So I figured I had to just, those lateral movements just kill you after a while. And uh, you look like you've been working out. Is that right? Uh, I'm actually kind of puffy today. Uh, I've, I've been doing... Um, I'm doing a lot of Kung Fu, but it's not aerobic you know it's not it's a lot of twisting mm -hmm. you know so mm -hmm. it's not it's not violent it's not percussive it's not combative it's a sort of drills are you doing it on your own or are you doing it with other yeah, people yeah i'm doing it on my own but i'm the, i'm sort of rehashing i've taken classes in the past and all the stuff I've forgotten, I can now I've sort of uh, reacquainted my, myself with via YouTube, which has proved an incredible resource for that. Like, uh, you know, I'm not dependent on my memory. I can just look up what I'm forgetting and then practice that. So I've been doing that pretty heavily for about three months now. And I wouldn't say that I'm losing a lot of weight, but what I am doing is I'm feeling much better physically. So like aches and pains and stiffness, I'm, I'm really getting a handle on that. And I'm, I'm feeling like, I'm feeling like I'm on a good sustainable trajectory. That's not like, I don't feel tired after one of these workouts. I feel relaxed, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like a different philosophy. I'm not trying to build anything. I'm trying to, I'm basically trying to calm down. Could you show us some of your judo moves that you've been learning? I could. <laughs> I'd love to see that. Will I? Not in this. I'll make a video and I'll post it. But uh, I did like an hour and a half this morning. Wow. I was very proud of myself. But, I, you know, I, I picked up this as the swimming has um, um, tapered off for the winter. And I'm going to have to figure out how to do swimming in such a way that it doesn't thoroughly exhaust me. Like, so you did a lot of swimming when you were in Aussie. In Australia, yeah, I right? lost about 10 pounds. Now, do you attribute <laughs> that all to swimming? or is No, I was walking? walking like over 10 miles a day, m many days. So. so how did you, how would you say the swimming affected you? Well, I remember my first day there, the first First day there, I, I went swimming at the Clavelli Beach, and uh, I was given a snorkel by by my sister. And I'm not sure I've been snorkeling before, and so yeah. I, I get out there the snorkel. I just run out of breath. I, I don't know how to use it, or I'm just so out of shape. I'm just out of breath, and I'm I'm like ripping the the snorkel mask off <laughs> and just breathing, or then like furiously paddling over to the side, you know, standing on a rock, and <sighs> I was just out of breath. So often the first 
first few weeks swimming in Australia, I'd go out there into the ocean and I'd start body surfing. And on days where there are big waves, like I'd, I'd ride a wave and then I'd come up after being smacked around by the wave and I come up gasping for breath. And then another wave comes over me after, you know, duck down. I get yeah. tumbled around, come back up. <gasps> and then there's another wave that's coming. Yeah. <gasps> you know, it was, uh, it was embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. How, how, how out of shape I was. Uh, but, uh, People noticed I got much healthier as the, as the vacation extended. Now, did you find out you spit up a lot of phlegm during one of these episodes? Yeah, I, I was I was spitting and blowing you know blowing my nose you know the whole two months in the ocean. Like I was yeah. always swallowing water and spitting and you know was, I was disgusting because I could notice you know I was constantly spitting and I don't notice other people in the ocean you know constantly spitting and blowing their nose. But, it, but it, okay, so I went through a similar process and I felt like I was really like, uh, yeah, really cleaning out my lungs in a really good, positive way though. I felt it was, mm-hmm. you know, yes, it's a distress, it's disgusting and everything, but it was ultimately, I came through the other side of it feeling much better. Yeah. So you have to sort of adapt to the ocean. Like, you know, when you're in ocean water, you're, you know, life evolved in the ocean. So you're, it's a very natural state. It's a very familiar state to be in biologically. Even if, even if you're a land dweller, your, your, um, sort of your electrolyte balance is very highly compatible with ocean salinity. So it's a very relaxing place for your body to be. Well, when I was so sore because I was doing all this exercise, including things I haven't done in years, like uh, bowling, I went bowling and then I couldn't believe how sore my legs were. So I was getting really sore and people would tell me, oh, go swimming. You know, it's a good way to, you know, work out the sore muscles, but that didn't really work out. What I had to frequently do is take a day or two days off any exercise. Hmm. And then, then I'd, I'd start to recover, but I forgot to bring my activator. Mm-hmm. I didn't bring my flex bar, like all my little tools to, Keep myself tuned up uh, to you know get rid of ultra tight muscles, but I had to often yeah take a day off or sometimes two days off, and mm. and I think it was about five or six weeks in that finally I wasn't sore anymore. Uh, but I, I just couldn't believe how out out of shape I was the first time I got in the ocean, and I was like you know gasping for breath when uh, and it took me yeah it took me five or six weeks in the ocean before I wasn't. Constantly uh, gasping for breath. Well, did you get to the point where you're doing actual laps or is that you're just body surfing? Uh, I did some some laps. What I, I like to do is like just dive down and swim as far as I can, holding my breath. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that'll, uh, that'll get you gasping for sure. And then or I would just uh, swim as fast as I can uh, using what's the primary stroke for, for swimming as quickly as possible? Um, but I, I swim as quickly as I could on one breath. Um, you know, just, oh, underwater? Uh, no, underwater. over water. Oh, but, like this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so I would do crawl. that. I would just, I'd do that a lot. So I'd just like do a, a swim sprint, either mm. underwater or over water. And that, that helped me get into shape. So you're going to uh, keep it going in LA? Not sure. Yeah. Not sure. So, uh, so it wasn't really life-changing. It's, it was good, but it wasn't like a life-changing experience. I don't know. It's it's too too early to see, but I, I definitely feel the temptation to stay inside more in LA. 
because of the social climate. Yeah, it's just, uh, I mean, there isn't a beautiful beach. Oh, right through his me. hands. You see that, Luke? Oh, no. <laughs> right through his hands. Unbelievable. Uh, uh, yeah. I feel like Caesar now, Luke. I feel great. Yes, because you, you, you get to see the, the game 15 seconds before I do. Uh, <laughs> no, it just just the utter dominance that this guy's inflicted. I feel like, you know. All right. Yeah, so how about you? How much time do you spend you know, inside your place? Uh, a lot, too much, yeah. way too much. But I do make a point of going out every single day. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I used to like, kind of like breezing through the neighborhoods, just kind of ambling through and all the sort of more uh, picturesque neighborhoods. I don't go there anymore because they're just, because uh, of all the, you know, the feces. <laughs> But we've never had that in Beverly Hills, so yeah. I, I I don't recall any unpleasant experiences in the in my twenty seven years in or by Beverly Hills. Like there are virtually no homeless, no you know ranting crazy people. There are no smash and grab. So there's no smash and grabs in Bel in. Uh, there, there were. Oh, look at the that! Reckoning. There you go, Luke. First down. There, there were there were during the initial reckoning after George Floyd, but it's a very rare occurrence in Beverly Hills. Okay, because they're they're now. I mean, they're just. It's really a thing now. I think word's gotten out, and it's it's attracted more. Because the the number of posts that I see. Are you a member of Nextdoor? Yes. So you know, I'm a I, I'm a member on, and just the sort of firsthand reports, and you know, Nextdoor is highly dom. You know, is dominated by women, of course. Yeah. And um, they're not happy, and they're you know, each one, you know. It's weird, like, I guess it's true of everyone, but nobody really treats crime as a problem that may impact themselves personally until it happens to them. Yeah. You know? And you know, that's something I, uh, you know, is really clear on next door. When, you know what that yellow joke, you know, what's a conservative? Yeah, liberal is being mugged. Yeah, yeah. So... That process is taking through. Um, but I am going to, you know, I'm slowly wending my way towards getting, um, once my sort of uh, internal sort of reorganization is done, I'm going to sort of get involved with this, this, some, there's a local group that's, you know, basically centered on, on next door. And they're taking steps to, you know, address some of these crime issues. So, I'll I'll lend my uh, my talents as my you know for what they are towards that. I think it'll be interesting. Oh, what's this guy? He's on his back, dude. And that's probably the best defensive player for, for the Forty Niners, Bosa. He's got a brother who's huge, also for the uh, San Diego, uh, Los Angeles Char Chargers. The last name's Bosa. Are there certain uh, ethnic groups that make up certain positions, like uh, like the linemen? Are they often of? Yeah, linemen and quarterback are disproportionately white. So the league overall is about eighty percent black, eighty ninety percent black. Mm -hmm. um, so the people closest to the center of the field are the most likely on the offense are the most likely to be white. Um, the running backs, with just one exception, are all all the big running backs are black. You know, all the major, almost all the major wide receivers are, are black, except for Cooper Cup, 
he's this highly intelligent uh, wide receiver for the Los Angeles Rams. And uh, he's like had a record-breaking year. And he, he was long overlooked because coaches often look overlook whites at the speed positions of wide receiver and cornerback. They, they move yeah. white cornerbacks to safety. And uh, they're skeptical that white wide receivers can get it done because people expect, you know, it's going to be blacks who dominate at that position. Now, does a wide receiver turn around and become a defensive back or are they both? Rarely. Um, but uh, as a defensive back, Trayvon Diggs for the, for the uh, Cowboys who used to be, he was a wide receiver when he started at Alabama, but then the coach of Alabama said, you're much more likely to get on the field if you play defensive back. And so he switched to defensive back and he played a lot more. Interesting. So but wide like, receivers tend to be incredibly flamboyant. But like within whites, like are there certain, you know, ethnic subgroups that make up like linemen, are they German in origin or like, uh, you know, well, Eastern European or, or is it just. Junior Seau. I'm trying to remember who that there's a, there's a group of, of, there's a, group of uh there's an island where a lot of disproportionate samoa. Number, yeah samoa so junior yes. seau is uh samoan so samoan is a disproportionate number of the of, of linemen particularly disruptive defensive players okay now he he committed suicide he's yeah. the patriots yeah and you know i was um happened to be watching a game once back in boston when he played for the patriots and his arm, he like broke his arm basically in half. It was really one of the most staggering. Like you, you got to see it on TV. Yeah. I didn't think people could recover, and he came back amazingly after that. That same you know, season or the next season? No, several seasons later, he was out for right. quite a while, I think. But I think you know he must have been on some serious pain medication. Um. Well, you know what being in pain all the time really just is a real drag on your mood, you know? Yeah. So I, I can't, I can't believe that his suicide isn't attributable. Yeah. Attributable it was, it was related to, to, you know, that, that brain disease. I wanted to say CBD, but that's not the right acronym, but uh, yeah, there's a brain disease that happens to a lot of people in, in, in sports like football or rugby, any, any time where you're having you know, collisions with your head. Even soccer players often mm. die from these these types of uh, diseases because soccer players are often colliding with other players' heads. Yeah. So, uh, Djokovic. Oh, oh look, he... look out! Oh, whoa, no! Oh, n- oh, man! Mental errors. That is. Djokovic okay. does he play on the baseline or is he a servant volley guy? Mostly baseline. He's a baseliner. And Federer um, does Federer rush the net more? Uh, Federer is, he's, he's got all, he plays both. Yeah. He's just very well-rounded. Um, they say Federer's got the best tennis brain, just Mm -hmm. strategic shot selection. Like he just, um, you know, these tennis, tennis players at that level, they think in combinations of shots, you know, I'm going to slice a bunch of times here, loosen them up, you know, and then I'm going to turn them around here. You know, this shot selection is a, is a art. And, you know, they, they, um, so to that end, you know, I, you know, that's where like tennis IQ, you know, can be the difference. 
Um, so um, Mickey Cow says, uh, any white guy Democrat will beat Trump in 2024. And I, I think he's probably right. What do you think? Oh, it seems like I, we're so early in the game. Uh, I don't think I don't think Trump is the best move here. I think Trump has got to he's got to find a way to sort of go off into the sunset. I, 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 I he's it, it just yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say. I think uh, well, there's going to be there's a lot of antipathy uh, towards the Democrats. I mean, they're really going to get pounded. I don't see how it doesn't happen. But whether that carries through to 2024, I don't know. Who do the Democrats have? Joe Biden. No, but in 2024? You don't think he's going to run again? No, of course not. He won't make it. I, don't, I really don't think he finishes his term. I, I think he's much older. I think he's much more feeble than you, than you do. There's been no State of the Union. When isn't the State of the Union happen? Does not usually happen by now. No, no, it's at the end of January. Oh, really? Okay. You're looking forward to it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, appointment viewing. <laughs> but it's a nail biter. I mean, you have to wonder if he's going to make such a. a, a I, I don't. Do you think he gets through this without an embarrassing gaffe? Oh, the State of the Union. Yeah, he because he just reads it. It's when he speaks spontaneously that he gets in trouble. Yeah, I don't know if he can do that. I think I think there's just times when he's down. Like this happens to me, Luke. Like there's certain hours of the day where I just need to crash. I need to relax. You know, I can't think clearly. So when are you sharpest? Early, 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 early in the morning. First thing in the morning. And and then do you get a a bump at any point during the day? A bump? No, I, I I start strong and then I just tail off. <laughs> it's like a so straight arrow. It's what, like a ski slope down. You don't tend to get up that early. So, what time do you normally get up? Um, it varies a little bit, but you know, on the weekends it'll be a little later. But during the week, six uh, thirty. Okay, and then what what time do you normally start working? Seven. Seven. Yeah. Like I said, I have to get it. I have to do all of my hard work immediately. Otherwise, yeah. I'll never do it. Yeah, I find I get a bump after I eat. So even after lunch and after dinner, I, I always get a bump of energy. And uh, and mm. often I can tackle tasks that look too forbidding to me when I'm hungry after I eat. Do you experience that? I think I get the opposite. I, I get like a, a crash. I have sort of, I, I, del I have to actually add, I had to start, stop eating substantial lunches and just have very minor snacks for lunch because the digestion would slow my brain, that would slow me down completely. And I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be able to think. I so. assume that's because you're eating a lot of uh, carbs. Uh, I do eat carbs. I wouldn't say a lot of carbs, but... Like if I had like a grilled cheese sandwich, it's, you know, that would be enough to slow me down. See, my digestion, it really isn't that strong. 
So maybe you have a stronger digestion and you actually get energy from your food. To me, it's a burden. Well, as long as I don't eat too much and as long as it's got a substantial amount of uh, fat and, carb and, and protein, then I get a bump from a meal. But I notice a lot of people, they are less efficient. They, they feel sleepy and they just think more slowly after a meal. And I just almost never have that unless I eat an absurd amount or unless you know, I eat mainly carbs, which I, I virtually never do. Well, you know, it's, it's citrus season now in California, Luke. Well, citrus is carbs. It's just like eating sugar. There's, there's very little difference between eating fruit and eating sugar. I don't think that's the case. So do you watch Louder with Crowder? I used to maybe four years ago for a little while, and then uh, I stopped. But there was this was sort of 2016. Was he a gateway drug to Andy Worski? He was. He was. He was. Uh, he, Crowder used to have this sidekick called uh, Not Gay Jared. Have you watched any Crowder? No. Nah. Uh, okay. So, uh, I mean, this is when I was just sort of getting red pill. It's like he was sort of, he was, Crowder was effectively a gateway drug to the red pill community, as it were. Um, but he, as a person, really started to annoy me. His, his, just, his emotional uh, temperament really uh, rubbed me the wrong way. So, Art Bell writes, uh, Luke, any thoughts on Louder with Crowder? He gets 10 million, he gets uh, 10 plus strikes. He has mysterious, there seems to be mysterious special rules for him, while others are tossed off YouTube. He has 12 million subscribers. Does he have too many viewers uh, to remove from YouTube? But yeah, I think uh, there are definitely different rules for more successful creators on YouTube. So if you have 12 million subscribers or even a million subscribers, I think YouTube will be much more patient with you than if you have a thousand subscribers. Any thoughts? Well, I just happened to hear that uh, I was listening to some comedians and they mentioned Crowder and they said he's been demonetized though. I think my, my, if what they were saying is correct, he's currently demonetized and this represents a giant amount of income for him that he's no longer getting. So, uh, and he has like a staff, you know, pretty substantial staff of people creating content. Um, so, I mean, he, he's, uh, yeah, he's in trouble. Why? Why did you bring up Crowder? I'm just curious. Uh, Art Bell just asked me that in the uh, chat. Okay. Yeah. Any, any thoughts? So yeah, I think when you're more successful, you you do often get rules bent for you. So, but are you, so he's still online, but he's just not. He's still uh, on YouTube. You know, he he did get demonetized, but I think they remonetized him. Uh, did he but get demonetized again? Right? I'm sorry. He's not even alt light. He's just a kind of normally conservative. He's not yeah. really that edgy, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think he was on Fox News briefly, yeah. um, and he tells he stays, you know, well inside the boundaries around racial stuff. So I wonder what they actually got him on. Or uh, Greg Gutfeld, I think, is pretty smart, uh, pretty funny. Um, he's, I think increasingly popular with his late night show he's the he's the new king of comedy he often outdraws uh network uh comedy at 11 30 p.m 
what do you think of Greg Gutfeld? Uh, I see his clips on um, on YouTube. You know the replays. Um, I think he's very funny. Um, with that said, I'm I'm consuming a whole lot less news than I used to. Um, Is that because it's so depressing? No, I guess I literally really tune in because of the election year. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll start tuning in maybe a few months prior to the election. Um, but the reg the regular hum, you know, the regular sort of culture war stuff. I don't know. It just seems it just seems too repetitive. It just doesn't get me going anymore. Do you? Uh, well, I still subscribe, uh, and every day in Australia, I'd read the LA Times, the New York Times, the Washington Post, uh, Wall Street Journal, and the Athletic, in addition to the ABC, which is the public broadcaster in Australia. I'd read their website every day in the Sydney Morning Herald. So yeah, I still follow the news. You do all of those? Yeah. So I'd be driving through you know, rural Australia, and uh, I'd still be reading the, the Washington Post. Wall Street Journal. What, having it like on speaker or something? Or? No, no. I'm reading. So reading matter. while you're driving, Luke? No, no, I'm not driving. So we oh. would be driving, meaning someone oh, else would be driving. I'd be the passenger, and I'd just scroll on my phone through through uh, all the major newspapers. Hey, now, I'm not reading every article. I'm finding one or two articles usually on each publication that I want to read. What do you think about this like astral background i've got going on here this light this shaft of light that's beaming down on me i just noticed this yeah it's uh it's very powerful so yeah, are you having a spiritual experience yeah i feel like i'm having a spiritual experience right now <laughs> do you feel like it's really god just speaking coming through, through the voice of god is coming through me yeah so we're at halftime luke what do you think bro well i'd say the 49ers have about a 70 percent chance of uh Winning the game, but let's get the official analysis from ESPN. Yep, they got win percentage 67% for the 49ers. Okay, I'm not confident. I'm really not confident. I'm surprised how fast these football games move, Luke. Oh, because you've got such scintillating company. <clears throat> yeah, 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 yeah. Now, I remember, like, you know, when I was a kid, like a two-hour, three-hour football game seemed like an eternity. Well, it's you know? like anything. If you walk a mile on your own... It's mm. kind of irksome, but you can walk five miles with friends and it just goes by like that. True. I'm not, I, okay, this game has gone particularly quick, but right now, like a two hour, like two hours, it goes by like 20 minutes when I was a kid. Like 20 minutes when I was a kid, it was like two hours now. The amount of like... Uh, you know what I'm trying to say? The perception of the time passing. Mm -hmm. Like, when I'm young, I wake up, and all these different events, they feel like, you know, a whole week's worth of events. But today, now, like, I can just sort of turn around, and it's lunchtime. Yeah. Well, when, when you're scary. doing the same thing, then then life just slips by. So... That's why when I, I traveled, you know, I created a lot more intense experiences. I had like a euphoric few months because pretty much every day I was doing new things. So that's, that's the importance of getting out of routine because when you're just in a routine, then the days just slide by. So have you done uh, any thinking about what you're uh, 
Finance. Yes, yes. I'm planning to journal every day. Why do I live in LA? Yeah. And come up with reasons because I'm wondering, like, major reason I, I live in LA is because there's so much Orthodox Judaism here. But am mm -hmm. I getting out there and taking advantage of it? Or if mm -hmm. I say, you know, I live in LA because of my friends, and then you know, I list off my friends. Well, then, did, did I? When did I last see them? Or if I say, you know, I live in LA because of the beach. Well, when did I last go to the beach? I don't think I've been swimming in the ocean in Southern California for 10 years. Mm. Uh, so I feel like right. I want to confront myself. Like, why do I live in LA? Journal on it, write down the reasons, and then see if I'm actually you know, living them out. Because it's just so easy, uh, particularly with the crime wave that's, that's hit California, to just stay inside. Now, if, if you were to go to Australia, how, how thick would you say your social network is? Your, you got your family, but then beyond your family... Well, I had a great time at the synagogues I attended in Australia. Okay. So I got to know people there. I went bowling with Jews from, from the synagogue. I had meals with Jews. There, there are Jews in uh, Sydney who know me from my live streams and from my blog. Uh, so I was able to connect with them. And then uh, someone who reads my blog, you know, contacted a rabbi in Sydney who then reached out to me and said, hey, if you need anything. So I've got, you know, and then there are a lot of people I grew up with. I grew up two hours drive from Sydney, 90 minutes drive from Sydney. So people that I grew up with, including my best friend in childhood, or my two best friends in childhood, they both live in Sydney. So... Okay, what I'm saying is, is like economic network. Like, of your contacts in Sydney, you know, none have offered me a job. So no, but could you find a job through them? Well, it hasn't worked out because from about my first day in Australia, I suddenly realized, hey, I want to live here. So mm -hmm. I've, you know, sent my resume out. I talked to a lot of people about, you know, I wanted to move to Sydney. I was sharing my resume and. And uh, sharing, you know, different types of work that I'd like to do, and uh, nothing's nothing's come up, nothing's come of it as yet. Okay, but okay, so you did actively make explorations while you were there. Yes. Okay, and nothing bore any fruit. Uh, nothing that's borne fruit as yet. So I spoke no. to I spoke to employers, like I had job interviews. So. We'll um. Now, would they be more likely to bear fruit in L.A.? Uh, probably, because I've lived here for the last 27 years. So I've yeah. got a wider social network here, and I'm more familiar with the mores. And, and yeah. uh, I think it's a lot easier when you've lived in a place 27 years, as opposed to I've never lived in Sydney. I've only spent a total of... Uh, probably two months in Australia over the past 27 years. But, you know, okay, LA is a very competitive economy, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's a, uh, but it sounds like Sydney is, is as well. Yes. It's not like you'd be going into a much smaller pond. Right. It could be just as large. And a lot of people tell me there's much more age discrimination in Australia. So I'm 55, I'm not 25. Yeah. So it's mm. harder to get a job at 55 in, in Sydney than uh, at 25. Did you, th you ever think about uh, just having like a little small business for yourself? Of course. I'm, uh, uh, yeah, I'm thinking about different, is that on the different table? options. Yes. 
is it more appealing than like having a job? Um, well, actually, both have have their advantages and their disadvantages. So, so there's nothing wrong with both having your own business and having a job. I think that's that's often a good right. Idea. But like, let's say like you know, ninety five percent of people need to have a job. I think the the percentage of the population that is suited to being entrepreneurial for their living to pay the rent is probably five percent. Okay, when I say business here, I'm not talking about opening a factory. I'm talking about some sort of online kind of, you know. Yeah, being an entrepreneur. And I think about one in 20 persons is cut out for that. But you got Duvit, right? Duvit could show you the ropes. Yeah. You've got an ace. You've got an ace in in your pocket. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, I, I don't know. I'm just trying to explore the problem, you know. It's the question, I guess what I would wonder is if if you think the U.S., if you think L.A. is in for a rebound, you know, then L.A. could be a great place to be because there's a lot. It seems like, you know, the L.A. is a great place to be. I mean, I'm choosing between two great options. I went for a walk this morning in Beverly Hills and it was beautiful. I've never had a bad experience in Beverly Hills. It's safe. It's clean. The streets are wide. Uh, people are nice. Uh, so, like, I have a friend, a Jewish friend, who loves to to golf. Not because he necessarily loves golf so much, but he just loves being around people who are really polite. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, Beverly Hills is like one big golf club, uh, you know. And uh, it's it's just you know nice, pleasant. Uh, just makes you happy. Just makes me happy when I walk around in Beverly Hills. Now, do you talk about? Uh, you know, have you worked your neck network logo? Okay, so I I used to listen to this career show uh, up here, a local career show. It was pretty good actually. And he would, this guy would interview people about their career options and so forth. And you know, I would listen year after year after year before before the era of podcasting came along. So you know, I, I did like the way this guy broke down problems and things. So. Um, I know I often thought about having a career show on uh, online, but you know. So I have a question in the chat, Luke. You're equating entrepreneurialism with what? Well, self-discipline uh, would be one. A lot of people they don't have the self-discipline to to work on their own. So most people need an employer. Most people need a stable gig because. Most people lack the discipline and, and lack the, the initiative to go out and build a business. But what do you think? I'd say about one in 20 persons is, is cut out from getting their primary income from the, their own entrepreneurial ventures. What's your thought? I, I, don't, think it's, I don't think the odds are that. I, I think it's, it's probably more like one in eight. Okay. Well, one in eight if your IQ is over 100. Yeah. Right? So... Um, what's what's going on with all these flags, Luke? Yeah, Dallas Cowboys are a mess. What are they doing? They're all starting. All starting. I know it's amazing. I know some of the hand symbols. So, um, have you ever talked to a career counselor, like a career? Um, I they, they exist. N- no, I, I don't recall speaking to a career counselor. Would you consider it? 
Sure. Yeah. What if it costs a lot of money, like three or four hundred bucks? Uh, it would depend. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure what it well, would depend on. I'm sorry. If he was well recommended, would you? I mean, I, I'm not necessarily recommending you do this because a lot of these. I think I think that the there's probably a lot you could find on YouTube. But I, I mean, journaling is probably a really good idea. Like to really get your thoughts out on a page so you can actually consider them objectively and so quest start questioning some of your assumptions you know because maybe some of the assumptions that you have are wrong and they're they're limiting you yeah oh look at this punting from the uh the goal line almost blocked luke oh dear okay oh look out. Punter. oh he's gonna run i can tell he's got he's got mojo no <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, uh oh, another penalty. Who's it against? 49ers. Oh. Roughing the kicker? You can't even touch the kicker, right? That's considered. Well, roughing. you can. There's There are various degrees. So the Cowboys get the ball back. So it was fourth and 20. But roughing the kicker will be 15 yards and a first down. So there's a light degree of roughing the kicker and then there's a more heavy all right you and saw so, the replay did that, yeah, that look that's, like roughing the kicker yes that you can't run into the kicker but if you just brush him it's it's five yards but if you don't allow his leg to land after he kicks the ball that's 15. and so they get the ball back yep that's a catastrophe see what i mean turnover did i tell you yeah see that was effectively a turnover yeah that wasn't what I was expecting, but effectively, that's what it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're definitely a niche player. You got to find your niche, Luke. You got to find like, I'm sure there's like something out there that's like, like bullseye dead on right for you. But like hearing about it or learning it, you probably don't know what it is. It's just got to present itself to you, but you have to like, do the work that puts yourself in a position to. Yeah. And it may be an attitude adjustment in, in some areas. You know, for example, yeah. I often get very impatient working with stupid people. Um, you know, I find it really irritating to be around someone with an IQ hundred under 110. Okay. So, let's get rid of this ball. Uh oh, sorry. So, um, but is that how you think you like, you say, okay, I want these parameters. I want 110 and above. I want, air conditioning, <laughs> you know, like, um, I don't know. I've heard of situations where people have just hopped onto something, which I never considered before. And it turned out to be the perfect thing for them. Well, and also people change and grow. So right. Many people in a certain mindset, they're just not going to have success no matter what they touch. But oh, here we go. Long ball, long ball. They long adjust ball. their mindset. Uh-oh, intercepted. Nope. Can't get it done. They adjust their mindset and uh, things start turning around for them. So you think uh, you need it? So is that what the writing's for to get, like, get into yeah, it? Like yeah, I'm sure I've got mental blocks. I'm sure I've got self-defeating habits. I'm sure I've got blind spots. Mm. Do you want to be in broadcasting? Sure. I, I love broadcasting. But, you know, but like very, very difficult way to make a living. Is that, 
what um hmm what about working for like a big corporation what if there's like a a big corporation let's say there's an apple division down in la or something and they need they need a guy to just to pr produce video content you know it's not necessarily glamorous but like you know they need someone with your skills that and it could pay like 200 grand a year yeah of course i'd love something like that so i'm not as yeah, opposed so, to working for other people i mean i've often primarily made my living from working for myself but there's a time and a place to work for others or to do both or to work for a large corporation or work for a small business so i'm not not opposed to any of those yeah okay so um yeah it'd be interesting to uh Cowboys punter, he hit the hit the roof of the, uh, the stadium. So what I happens think there? That, I'm not sure if they have to re-kick it. Does he get a fine? <laughs> I think he gets a fine, but uh, is that even possible to kick that high? I guess yeah, so. it is. So he hit the roof, and so he has to re-kick it now. That's the first time for everything. I've never seen that. Um, there's a lot, you know, like these big companies, a lot of money sloshes around with no, like, no regard for return on investment, you know? Um, like I worked at this office and there was this woman that worked there and she was pretty hot, but her job was effectively a cheerleader. Mm -hmm. She was just sort of like a morale booster for everybody in the company, you know, yeah. like, I don't know how much she made, you know, I don't think it was a huge amount, but it probably wasn't nothing either. And she would just sort of coordinate these activities, try to make people think that they weren't, you know, trapped in a cube and, you know, killing themselves, you know, in a stupid office job. You know, there's, could you do that, Luke? Could you be like, sure. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know what the word for it is. It like uh it's not HR. It's like sort of like <laughs> the court jester. Oh, have you watched uh, that uh, Netflix series Cheer? They follow a community college uh, cheerleading program and yeah. uh the all the seems like all the guys on it are gay. Uh -huh. I was really shocked to find that uh, a lot of but then they also follow a neighboring community college cheerleading team where the guys are straight. And so the straight guys don't want to smile. The straight guys don't want to be flamboyant. They just don't want, want to do athletic tricks. Yeah. But they don't want to be all shiny and flamboyant. So, yeah, it was interesting seeing the very different attitudes that the, the heterosexual guys versus the homosexual guys had to cheerleading. But uh, would, would you be willing to be a corporate cheerleader? No, no, no. No, but I'm not as outgoing as you are, Luke. You're much more outgoing than I am. Yay, team! <laughs> hey, Jason, you're looking really sparkly today. No, no, you know what she'd do? She'd do things like she'd organize like little um, like juicing things. Like she would do like a afternoon juice bar for right. 
you know, and <laughs> no, I'm not saying this is okay. I'm not saying this specific job title is something good for you, but there's there's a lot of audio and video being produced now, right? Yep. So it seems like that's your wheelhouse. You should be able to monetize this. Yep. Okay, I think I'm gonna uh, end this and just uh, suffer through the all right, bro. The end of the game. <laughs> but was there anything else that you wanted to? No, discuss I'm today? all I'm I'm all tapped out too. Okay, man. <laughs> all right, later. All right. Good, 